Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the insane next chapter in the death of WCW. It's Super Brawl 2000. Kyush, how is it that a month after the disaster that was sold out 2000, things have gotten this much worse for WCW in just a few weeks? It seems impossible to understand how it could get here. But, like... I have such a, a different perspective on the show than maybe other people do. Cause I gotta be honest, this is one of my favorite wrestling shows of all time. And I say that because it's the worst wrestling show of all time. Yeah. I was thinking about that. We've covered a lot of bad shows, you know, some of those early Starcades, some of the early WrestleManias, some of the early SummerSlams, December to dismember, but Nothing stands out to me as being worse than this. And I, I also grade shows on a curve. I expect a show from 2000 to be better than a show from 1985 because I just feel like wrestling advanced in those years. This is about as bad as we've ever done. Here's the thing. A lot of those shows that we think of as bad, they were bad because they were boring. There was just nothing about them that was appealing in any way. Those early summer slams are just yawn fests that like you get through and you don't remember a single thing. This show has iconic segment after iconic segment of the craziest shit anyone has ever put on screen. <laughs> It's just, it's so clear no one is in charge at this point. Guys are just doing whatever they want. And not only are they just, they could just be like, all right, let's just wrestle a three-minute match and get back to catering. No, people are taking the biggest swings imaginable in every segment up and down this card. <laughs> so we'll have all that to cover. But first, we've got some very interesting current wrestling stories to talk about. Um, starting with, I think, both of our current favorite thing in wrestling, the AEW Continental Classic just keeps on rolling. And classic is a good term for some of these matches we got last week. These were some real bangers. Now, let's just be clear. Not only is this the best thing going on in wrestling today, it's not even particularly close. This is something that should just be rewriting what AEW is, how it exists, how we watch it. I, I've never been, I haven't been this riveted to the screen for AEW television since Hangman was chasing Omega for the title. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say if this is drawing. I know Col Collision did its best number in a while on Saturday, but that's probably just because it wasn't up against college football for the first time in a couple months. But I mean, for me, this has made AEW appointment TV again. I'm watching all these shows and like, I have to see what happens next. I want to know who wins the next match. I'm sitting at home, filling out my scorecard. It's not just that they've managed to compellingly make us care about who wins this thing. It's not even about who wins it. They've made each and every single match in this tournament mean something, both from the way that the people who lose are absolutely despondent in a way that changes who they are as characters, the way that the people, that each individual matchup that comes up feels like this gigantic obstacle that they have to find some magical way to overcome stakes have never been played this heavily in American wrestling, maybe ever. And that's what wrestling's all about. That's what makes, that's what makes great wrestling. Great is the stakes. It's the glory of victory and the agony of defeat. Cause what else yeah. is on the line here? Now, the game changer for me, 
like obviously these matches are fantastic. Watching these guys wrestle is great. I love a round robin tournament. But really, it's just those backstage segments after they lose, yeah. where they are like sobbing, broken men, where Jay White is frothing at the mouth, where Jay Lethal, who we've never even seen show an emotion on television before, breaks down in the hallway before he can get back to his locker room because he can't bear to face his friends after losing. Like, this is character development, people. This this tournament, the prize is something nobody cares about. The strong title, the Ring of Honor world title, no one gives a shit. But they're making it something. So, in the gold block, we really just had chalk results. Moxley won, Jay White won, Swerve won. Moxley and Swerve are tied for the block lead so far. They're both 3-0, and and they're facing off on Dynamite um, in a huge match. I mean, the winner is, I think, going to clinch a spot in the semifinals with a victory. And it's a fascinating one, too, because so far Swerve has passed all of his tests for can he be a main eventer. Yeah. Like he, did he have a Dynamite match with Hangman? Yes. Jay White? Yes. If he can have an absolute banger of a match against Moxley, and based on the interaction that they had in that bad stage segment, which was electric, yeah, I think they can. He's made, man. Plus, we've got Jay White versus Mark Briscoe and uh, Roosh versus Jay Lethal. You would think Jay White and Roosh win those things, but eh, maybe this is where Jay Lethal gets his win. I think they're, I, I think I think they're going to Briscoe versus Lethal as their last match, and it's just like the stakes are: can either of them get, you know, can one of them get a win and get on the board? I also wouldn't be surprised if Mark Briscoe gets a shock win over Jay White. Oh my because god! Because that would be, that that would be, be like something. a big deal. Yeah. Um, over in the blue block, Brian Danielson split his two matches for the week. He beat Danny Garcia on Rampage, but he lost to Andrade in just a brutal, incredible match. Those two matches man. are magical. This man is living out his wrestling dream right now. He's having every his matches are so varied and different and are telling these dramatic stories. This thing now where he's like a meditation violence monk yeah. in the backstage, like preaching about how Daniel Garcia got so close, but that sports entertainment will kill you. Like I, I've never seen him this locked into something. Eddie Kingston stayed alive with a victory over that scumbag Claudio Castagnoli. Ah, thank God. This is really interesting. Like it, Let's forecast this now. If you could have any semifinals you wanted, what would it be? Oh, man. I I think probably I'm thinking Eddie versus Eddie versus Danielson and Moxley versus. I don't know if you do Moxley or if you do J, if you do Swerve or you do Jay White, probably Swerve. Yeah. Like, I don't know who you have win this thing. I'm not sure it even super duper matters. Though and my, would... my, my thought going in was it should be Jay White because I think he needs something to establish him as a top guy. But right. I don't know. Does the, have they said if the, does the winner of this get a title shot? Well, they, they get that triple crown title. I don't know that okay. they get a t- shot at the world title. 
here's the other thing. Moxley's going to Wrestle Kingdom to wrestle for IWGP's new global championship. So if he was already this Triple Crown champion and then also competing for that, that would make a ton of sense, right? That would be interesting. But all I care about is if we get Eddie versus Danielson in the semis and Danielson beats Eddie, does Eddie turn heel? And if he does, that's electric. I mean, it would be something for him if he, after starting 0-2... Did he start? Yeah, he started 0-2. Yeah. To make it into the semis would be an achievement for him after there was a point here where it looked like he might be getting shut out. And he's the only one with anything to lose. Yeah. They're his titles. Lose both. His, it feels like he kind of has to get into the semis because it would be weird for him to lose his belts without, like, yeah, doing a match where they were actually on the line. Right. But I just think that it's so compelling that like this is Danielson's tournament that they threw for Danielson, like to give it to him. But they put Eddie's belts on the line. Yeah. In it. So if Danielson beats Eddie. What a perfect inspiration that would it's, be for him to turn. It's awful. But in universe, I'm, like when when Eddie loses a match, I'm just like, oh, shit, is he going to fall off the wagon now? Because that's the character. It's so yeah. and it would be so understandable why he would go there. Yeah. And that. He could be the one who retires Danielson because it's going to happen. And there's no way Danielson's not going to have somebody be the guy who does it to him. Oh, man. Yeah, they haven't announced the matches for Collision this week, which I find it so strange. They must know what matches are happening or when. I find it very strange they haven't announced all of them already. Because you have that to book is, the whole, you have to book the whole tournament in advance. You'd think you would do this so you could promote the matches. Like I think some of these matches would sell tickets. That is the weird thing. Like the the way that the G1s laid out is they literally lay out every single match yeah. in every town, so that it, when they're coming to your town, you know exactly what you're going to get to see. Yeah, that's confusing. Because again. You have to book the whole tournament from the beginning. They're not doing right. this tournament by the seat of their pants. It doesn't work if you do it that way. No, and it, it's very clear with all the stories that they're telling that there was some deep thought put into yeah. each and every single match. God, Tony Khan must have pulled so many all-nighters on this thing. It seems like he pulled this out of his ass, and it's a fully, completely fleshed-out, constructed tournament with all these stories and branching arcs and all this shit. It's incredible. Where did this come from? Do you think he got on a do you think he got like got on a Zoom call with Gato and Gato helped him book it? Because it's a lot the, it's a lot simpler than the G1 because it's so many fewer people. Yeah. I would not be surprised at all if he like or probably maybe Rocky Romero or somebody like that. Yeah. Like he definitely picks somebody's brain and just like, all right, how do these you normally lay these things out? The other thing is too, we don't know this. Danielson could be helping book a lot of this shit. Probably a lot of it. I mean, certainly I'm sure he's I think he has creative control, certainly over his stuff. But it, I think he's getting more and more involved in the book. And this whole tournament feels very like his st- approach to wrestling. And, and I love it, it. It's almost like when Triple H was like coming up like before NXT was a huge deal. But you could you could almost sort of tell the stuff that he was associated with because it was just a little bit higher quality than everything yeah. else. Like. I get that vibe from Danielson or like the beginning of AEW when Cody got all the good stuff. Yeah. Like like sometimes these guys have great minds for the business, the opportunity to like, and con needed needs, needs someone to help him do this. If it turns out that Danielson's that guy fucking great. 
All right, story number two, CM Punk signs with Raw. After teasing going to SmackDown and even NXT, I cannot believe they actually had him show up on the NXT show. That was quite a bonus for the fans who bought tickets to that one. How on earth is Shawn Michaels making all of this work with NXT? (laughs) Where they're like... Sean has just absolutely resurrected NXT at this point from the broken shell that it was, you know, during the NXT 2.0 era. Or even, to be honest, even during the late Triple H era, it was a fucking mess from like 2018 on. Oh, yeah. Like he's constructed a new, it feels more modern. It feels younger. It feels more exciting. I don't like the product necessarily because it's just not the kind of wrestling that I necessarily get down on. But like, it, you can't argue that it's a, a massive success. It's like, also an actual, th- like these are actual developmental prospects, whereas yes. the Triple H glory years, it was like, oh, here are developmental prospects, you know, Kevin Steen and El Generico and um, Shinsuke you know, Nakamura. Prince Devitt, yeah, <laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura, people who've been wrestling for 10 plus years. Yeah, so, like, the wrestling on these shows isn't actually amazing, but, like, the way that he's producing stars from these green-ass people and bringing them along is unbelievable. It looks like Shawn Michaels may have constructed 20 fucking stars in the last two years. Looks like it, at least. Anyway, we're not here to talk about NXT. We're here to talk about CM Punk. It's not a huge surprise that he went to Raw, because I think both of us kind of thought that Rollins was definitely where he was going. And... Um, that's clicking. And what I liked what I liked about his appearance on Raw yesterday was he actually interacted with people, whereas before this he had been in a bubble. It was seeing him and Kofi being homeboys backstage was really fun. I really like that because it's yeah. actually like a good shout out. Like they are actually good friends. Like I, yeah. I bet Kofi was like the happiest person to see Shit. him backstage. They were tag team champions back in the day, I think. Hell yeah. They were both just dudes in ECW yeah. who Vince didn't like. That was just that <laughs> brought them together. Um, him and Seth have pretty good chemistry. Like to me, oh, that's yeah. a perfect match. It's just like Seth Rollins is an imitation CM Punk, but Seth has every right to say, I've surpassed you. I'm the best in the world now. Perfect right. feud. And there's, but there's tons of ammunition for Punk to be like, you're a fucking poser. Like <laughs> still who waiting for you like... to be as over as your wife. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff. Like there's, it's it's a it's a layup of a feud. Fantastic. Like for some you're reason, the guy ev- they tried to turn into me because I walked away. Every new person who debuts who's a big star debuts against Rollins, and that is a huge <laughs> compliment for Rollins because Rollins makes all of these guys look incredible. Yeah, I mean you can I think you can pretty much pencil that in for night one of WrestleMania as the main event, and for Punk sure. will finally get his WrestleMania main event, except not really. Now the fascinating thing about punk going to raw is that rumor that dropped just a few hours ago that maybe raw's tv deal could be different just because punk's on it now oh one bill phil interesting if cm punk manages to steal AEW's tv deal from them which to be clear AEW losing their turner deal is an extinction level event for that company because I don't know though, where they're going to land if they lose that deal. I mean, they may it, not have anything. I don't. I assume somebody would put them on TV, but I, who the hell is a TV partner for them? Right. This isn't TNA. They they are a proven successful ratings commodity. I don't think they would have an impossible time finding a home. 
but definitely not a home this big no. or this supportive. And like AEW was not a strong enough brand to survive in the wild. And I honestly think, I think if this brand got turned away, I think Tony Khan would walk away from this company. Like I sell just, the, sell the thing. I, I what would be in it for him anymore? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's no fun to run this show if it's on fucking the CW. <laughs> they can't even get the CW because the CW is going to show NXT. And that's the thing. WWE is spread all over the fucking networks now. At first I was like, oh, they can go to USA. But I'm like, nope, SmackDown's on USA. Shit. But here, here's the thing. Like, we're we're kind of just extrapolating and assuming that it's like Warner who is like interested because David Zaslav loves punk so yeah. much. But it also might just be that like maybe Fox or whoever wasn't that interested because they didn't have big stars on Raw. Yeah. But now suddenly they do have one. And like, oh, maybe now they're interested. Yeah, maybe it's back. Maybe it's probably not going to be NBC because I don't think Universal wants to shell out that much cash. They already got, you know, SmackDown on USA. But it's interesting. Um, A lot more coming. Punk announced he'll be in the Royal Rumble. I don't think he'll win. I think it'll be Cody. Although, man, it would really be heart-wrenching if Cody didn't win the Rumble and then he had to win like an elimination chamber match to get his shot at WrestleMania. And they just, I mean, I, I wouldn't blame them if they did it because it, if there's anything that we've proven, it's that we're still with that story, man. Like having, it, it's, there's no more, nothing is more money than having terrible things happen to Cody Rhodes. And that's the thing. Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns have shared the screen for like three seconds in the past six months. Roman Reigns hasn't even been on TV half the time. Oh, and yet, and yet those three seconds, the most electric television of the year. Uh, Yeah. I loved how literally they just looked at each other and like, Oh yeah, that's clearly the WrestleMania main event again. And the biggest match in pro wrestling right now. Yeah. There's just no question. Like, they, they didn't waste it or whatever bullshit everyone said around the time. Like, no, 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 no. Oh, my the, God. The can, and, can he, and can he actually beat him this time? I don't know that he's going to because I think they might want Roman to beat Hogan. Which is. Whew. He only has to get to the if he gets if he holds the title till like October, he beats Hogan's first title reign. And here's the thing. it's I do genuinely think, of course, that Cody Rhodes is going to win. But that would plant just enough doubt in our minds. what if he doesn't? What becomes of Cody Rhodes then? And just having that sliver of doubt is enough to make that match white hot. Dread is what I feel at the thought that Roman could win again. Oh, yeah. Last year, Cody Rhodes told everyone in the world he was going to win that match, and he didn't. He should have, but he didn't. But he couldn't. He wasn't wasn't ready yet. Now he's ready, I think. Brock made him ready. Yeah. yeah. Brock passed <laughs> and Shinsuke, the torch. And Shinsuke now. What color mist did Shinsuke hit him with? I can't remember. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, Shinsuke hit him with the mist last night. I can't remember what color it was. I don't know well, if it could have been the corrupting him. mist. Yeah. If you hit Cody with the corrupting mist, his hair just turns black. <laughs> he gives you the black hair back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, story three. WWE possibly cutting back on house shows. Um TKO TKO chief operating officer Mark Shapiro suggested that they're considering cutting back their house shows, or at least I took it more as like not running house shows in such small markets. 
basically he said with a lot of corporate jargon, I don't know if you read this quote, but I just like rolled my eyes at it because it was the most corporate jargon I've ever seen in plain speak. What he said that, well, house shows are good for the company's brand running shows in C and D markets is losing the company money, or at least they're foregoing the possibility of making more money by running bigger markets instead. I think this signals that their trips to, you know, Saginaw and Kalamazoo, Michigan and Toledo, Ohio are probably on the chopping block as examples. Though, I mean, Toledo for some reason gets Raws and Smackdowns. I don't yeah, fucking know so why. Yeah, probably but... not kill, but maybe they're not killing off Toledo then. But what well, maybe are, like what, are, what are C, yeah, what are some C and what are some like C and D towns they run in Ohio? Oh God, like Dayton? Dayton's probably done. Yeah. Uh, they occasionally run like Canton Green. and they Akron run Bowling and shit. Green. Bowling Green in Ohio or Kentucky? Uh, there's a Bowling Green both in Ohio and Kentucky. Well, uh, that's no. very confusing. Oh, it is very confusing. <laughs> um, no, TNA ran a house show there, but that's the last time they got a wrestling show. Oh, okay. Because I went to it. <laughs> yeah. In in um, Michigan, like they Detroit is an A town. Grand right. Rapids, Detroit gets SmackDown lately. Grand Rapids is a B town. Grand Rapids gets Raw now that Raw is the B show. And then they run shows in between. They'll run shows in Saginaw and Kalamazoo are the two like C or D towns. They don't run Lansing anymore. Uh, They never go anywhere. They don't go anywhere else in Michigan anymore. Yeah. Wherever you guys happen to live, I'm sure you know exactly what your A, B and C towns are. Um, there's two ways to look at this. If it's really just that they only want to run A and B town so they can make more money, that's disappointing because like there's a lot of people who only get to go to shows because they're in Saginaw or yeah. because they're in Dayton. Like those are the cheap shows that are just for them. Yeah. A thousand people show up and have the time of their life with their kids. Right. Um, if, I've always held that if you want to cancel house shows, you should. But the reason you should should be the health of your performers. Yeah, they don't care about that. Do these that. guys – does Finn Balor need to be taking bumps at like every single weekend? No. If you cut out the house shows, they can literally take two weekends off every yeah. single month. Like that's well, incredible. And another solution is they should just do tag matches on the house shows so guys don't have to take as many bumps. It should be like New Japan. Everything should be like New Japan. I agree with you. But just like they've eased the schedule to such an extent now that like that's the reason that and no drugs is why (laughs) this generation of wrestlers is lasting 15, 20 years longer than they used to. Right. It's like it's not a mystery why everyone's wrestling into their mid to late 40s. If you can cut that back even more and it really wouldn't cost you that much money, it's not making any money going to Saginaw. Right. It's really just to do it. They run a show in a place like Saginaw. They draw like 3,000 people. It's probably $150,000 gate. That's probably not a money loser, but it's not a significant profit maker. No, after you pay the guys and the equipment yeah. and the taxes, venue and all that rent. Shit, yeah. I mean, the thing is, they don't really pay the guys anymore because they don't pay – like, they don't do payoffs anymore. Everybody just gets paid every two weeks now. So I don't right. know that unless you're going to cut everybody's pay down because you run fewer shows, like, you're not saving money. I, do they do they pay transportation costs at this point? Do they pay for – Rental cars. I'm not and sure. Cars. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know how this 
works at this point. But I know they've gone away from like you don't get payoffs anymore. You get paid. You get a check every two weeks for a set amount, which is much better for the guys. I'm glad it works that way now. Yeah. But even if you gave them like so you do like a a, a, like two B-Town house show loops, like first week of the month, second week of the month, that third week, give them off. And then the pay-per-view is the fourth like that, that. That's great. That's just like one less show. I just think the less bumps you make, these guys take the longer they'll last. And that should be very appealing to people, especially if you're paying them regardless. Yeah. So, I mean, the non-monetary positives of house shows, I do think it strengthens people's fandom. Like, I think absolutely people become fans for life because they go to a show when they're a kid and it's the most unforgettable experience. And it builds like there's a... I don't know. It's special to me, like seeing a Cody Rhodes, a bit, you know, guys who are big stars showing up in little towns is special. Like I said, if you're somebody who lives in a small town, smaller area, like having huge stars come to your town feels like the kind of thing that builds a real emotional connection. Oh, just to use Saginaw as an example, they were just there for a house show, and there's a picture of like Cody Rhodes posing yeah. with the fan out in front. This is like a high school gymnasium. Oh, it's basically. so. I mean, we were. I, I could not believe it when we walked up to the thing. It literally did look like a high school. It's like the idea that Cody Rhodes yes. is in your tiny ass town posing in front of this tiny place. WrestleMania. Like, it's un, that's unbelievable. Like. Yeah. And I think you're right about that. Also, house shows are just an unbelievably better experience to go to live. So TV, shows suck. Shows. TV shows yeah. suck ass. Between the constant commercial breaks, you can't really hear any of the promos that are cut. Yeah. Like, you don't really know what's going on. The matches aren't good because they're just stalling half the time. Like, yeah. it's not, they don't really do, like, the after show, like, dark match main event stuff anymore. They don't even interact with the crowds anymore. No. No, they've like I feel like they've totally given up on trying to make it an enjoyable show for the people who are there. Meanwhile, house shows, the guys can just do fucking whatever. Cody can cut his 45 minute promo yeah. after the show. Like guys can dick around everyone and do in hilarious attendance. stuff. Like the matches are way I love like the way I love the matches because they play to the crowd so much. Like we watched a match that was between like Sheamus and Drew McIntyre where like we were trying to figure it was like Sheamus and the Miz and they took like one bump in the entire match and the whole rest of it was just fucking around. (laughs) I love that. (sighs) Um, I mean, the other the other positive wrestlers getting ring time like guys, some guys need the experience. Some guys need to get the ring rust off. Guys get to, you know get familiar with working with somebody before their big pay-per-view match. They can try stuff out with guys, see, you know, whether they can hit a particular spot, that kind of stuff. No, I mean, in the age of the performance center and like, yeah. they usually, that's you not just, as important you as you could just make the guys report to practice and they could just be like, you have to come to the performance center and like have a, pro- you know, <laughs> it's kind of surprising they don't do this, but I guess they're on the road all the time, but just be like, okay, you have to come to the performance center and you're going to, work out under our supervision and you're going to like watch tape and practice your promo and practice your match. That seems totally reasonable. Now that you say that, wouldn't that be such a better use of that third weekend of the month? It's just like call everyone into the performance center to like get the whole roster together, do that, like get everybody like check what everybody's diet is like maybe do the drug test that weekend. Like, 
Yeah. Have them, you know, like a good meet idea. with a doctor, you know, meet with a doctor, just go over how they're doing physically. Like, oh, I got this pain in my shoulder. Oh, do these stretches. Or like, oh, let's take a look at, you know, let's look at your knee, that kind of thing. Yeah. You bring like all the guys from the office down so they can meet like the NXT kids and like see how they're doing. The veterans can like do some coaching. This sounds like an incredible idea. It's stupid they don't do this. It's basically how every other professional sport works. Yes. All right. Let's go back in time to February 2000. Oh, yeah. WCW. Fuck. <laughs> you can tell we don't want to talk about this. I do want to talk about this. Oh, oh, dudes, this is the show. We left off with Vince Russo being fired and Chris Benoit beating Sid to win the vacant WCW title in the main event of Sold Out. Who would have thought that 24 hours later, Benoit would be forfeiting the title and going home? Actually, it was completely predictable because he said that's what he was going to do. Everyone <laughs> thought that, including the guy who booked it, most likely. Yeah. As Sullivan has admitted, he don't like him and Sid double-crossed Benoit. Sullivan told um, Sid to put his foot under the rope before he tapped out, which I think was just – I mean, I think they were going to strip Benoit anyway as part of Nash being the heel NWO commissioner. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, like – if he hadn't actually left, they would have just used the Sid thing as a way to, like, just strip him. But that would have probably helped Benoit as a babyface because he wasn't ready to hold the title anyway. Yeah, no, he he would have needed a chase. So on Monday, WCW President Bell, Bill Bush meets with Benoit and his crew, which I think at this point it's Guerrero, Malenko, Saturn... Shane Douglas and I think Kidman was still here. Conan had been part of it, but Conan wasn't at the show at that point. I think there may have been a few other guys who were part of it. Um, They come to a compromise where Bush says he's going to make Sullivan the booker just of WCW Saturday night. And none of the wrestlers would would have to work. None of these guys will have to work on Saturday night, so they won't you know, have to deal with Sullivan. A controversial wrestler being relegated to the Saturday night show. What a concept. God. Not the first time, <laughs> not the new, last time. Nothing new in wrestling. Nope, uh, everything comes around again. That seemed to pacify the Rebels. And then they talked about who should me- be made Booker. Reportedly, they suggested a committee of... Vince Russo, Terry Taylor, and Arn Anderson. I can only imagine Terry Taylor was the source on that. Of course it was. No one was looking at Terry Taylor in 2000. And then Mike Graham threatened to kill Benoit. Sort of. Sure. Metaphorically. (laughs) Mike Graham is one of the wildest, most interesting figures from this period. No one knows how he got any power whatsoever, but boy, does he hate everyone. (laughs) He had been fired from WCW after the King of the Road match in 1995, which we got to do that uncensored sometime because that's an insane show. But he got fired, but now he comes back and he's once again in a position of power, even though he is not fit to be at all. Like, look, I hate to say, I hate to like rip on the guy because he's dead. 
killed himself. He clearly had some issues going on, but like that guy was not all there. No. Um, his shoot interviews though, 10 out of 10. Incredible. Yeah. The only thing I demand from a shoot interview is that the guy be surly and angry and not giving a shit enough to say anything. I, what I love about Mike Graham is he takes credit for every single good yes. thing WCW ever. Like, Mike Graham got Hogan. Mike Graham created Nitro. Mike Graham created the NWO. But none of the bad things were his fault. It's amazing. No. Yeah. He all the bad things, of- that was Dusty and Hogan and Bischoff. But all the good stuff was Mike Graham. Which is so funny because the way he frames it, it's like he only had one idea per year, but they were all bangers. <laughs> all perfect. They came to him each year for his one idea. Um, so what Graham says he said is he told Benoit that Sullivan was being too nice to him, that everyone said not to put the world title on him. And Kevin did, even though Benoit stole Sullivan's wife. And that if Benoit had stolen Mike Graham's wife, Graham would cut his head off and put it on a stick outside the arena to show all the wrestlers. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So naturally, Benoit calls human resources and files a complaint that Mike Graham had threatened to murder him. And at that point, Bush has no choice but to give all the guys their releases. I think that's fair. So it's fascinating to think about what would have happened if Mike Graham doesn't say that. Because, like, Mike Graham basically does these guys a gigantic favor. Yeah, makes it easy. Because, like, WCW doesn't have to let these guys go. Yeah, they can just go home, but then they're in breach of contract and they're not going to get paid and they can't just leave. I mean, eventually, maybe Benoit, like, holds out. But the other guys are coming back. Like, they, yeah. like they need to get paid. They need to feed their families. Like, it is what it is. Um, but, no, this one loose cannon who's wandering around, like, yeah. says, like, the wildest shit you've ever heard. Fucks up everything. Creates an unsafe working environment. Just and, like CM Punk. And he doesn't get fired. No! They keep him around. (laughs) Like, I don't understand how you don't get fired for this. Like, if I were in charge of human resources, if I'm Bill Bush, I fire everyone involved. Sullivan's gone. Graham's gone. Everyone's gone. I just keep firing people to, like, stop hearing yelling. Benoit hands over the title and he goes home. We have a vacant world title again. Uh, so Kevin Sullivan sets about trying to make WCW great again. We kick off the January 17th Nitro with Kidman versus Psychosis already in the ring, ready for a cruiserweight match. Like, hell yeah, happy days are here again. And it's, isn't it so simple to get back to the glory days? Just take one of the 40 amazing cruiserweights you have under contract and put them in there. (laughs) Let them cook. Um, Arn does a great promo explaining that he didn't look at Sid's foot because as a wrestler, he had felt many times like he kicked out 
and the referees didn't see it because they didn't go down head to head with them. So he went down head to head with Sid. And this doesn't really make sense in this case because Sid wasn't being pinned, but I still really like this explanation. But he said, I wanted to be head to head with Sid to hear whether or not he quit. So I didn't see his foot. I messed up. I'm sorry. I mean, that's a fantastic fucking Arn Anderson. Just everything he says makes sense. He has no reason to go this hard with this promo. No. Um, January 24th, Nitro. Nash, the commissioner, sets it up where Sid first has to beat Don Harris. And if he beats him, then he gets to wrestle Kevin Nash for the title in the main event. The Harris brothers pull a switcheroo and Sid pins Ron Harris. And then in the main event, uh, the ref gets bumped. Jeff Jarrett tries to interfere. Sid cuts him off, gets his guitar, smashes it over Nash's head. And then Sid pulls an Eddie Guerrero and goes down holding his head so the referee doesn't disqualify him when he wakes up. This is amazingly smart of Sid. I love the idea of them portraying Sid as like a crazy person, but occasionally genius. I, He's like I a fucking Batista, love it. an intelligent yeah. monster. That's amazing. He pins Nash, he wins the title. This is such a like brilliant babyface moment to have the babyface just outsmart the heels like this. And for Sid, who you would just assume is a big dumb muscle head. I love this version of Sid. There are characters from this period who I genuinely love. This might be my favorite Sid. This bit right here. Hard to top 97 Sid in the WWF. Sure. I, I agree with that. This is pretty cool. It just... It kind of pays off the idea. We had always believed that a babyface Sid could be fucking amazing. If they just let the fans cheer him like they've always wanted. And this is that. They finally get to. And they do. On Thunder, Nash stripped Sid of the title because he pinned the wrong Harris brother. Gotta pin the wrong right brother, brother. That's That's a rookie mistake, Sid. I'm sure that's somewhere in the rule book. In the main event, Sid beat Nash and Don Harris. I don't remember if it was Don or Ron. I have Don in my notes. <laughs> he beat them both in a cage match to win back the title. What the fuck was the point of any of this? I don't know. Why are the Harris brothers involved in any of this at all? <laughs> Why are the Harris brothers employed at all? Who knows? Like, what What? What did they have on people? Like, did they just see, like top like did they see bill bush at their white supremacist meetings and were like hey brother put us on tv or we're gonna out you <laughs> uh rick flair appeared at the top of the ramp and applauded sid this was his first appearance since the filthy animals buried him in the desert back in the fall flair's back yes. his desire to uh, appreciate Sid, much like mine. If you told me that tomorrow Sid was going to go on Raw and win the I'll world title, I also would, like, climb out of a grave. <laughs> Flair did a classic interview on the January 31st Nitro. He was interrupted by his old rival Terry Funk because we got to turn the clock back to 1989 Steve's version. 
I did not remember that this feud happened, but it's so fascinating that this season followed the old season when this feels like a direct sequel to that feud. It is! They actually show footage of the Flair Funk 89 matches, which is not the kind of thing they did back then. They They refer to it constantly. They really never, I feel like they never referenced anything before Nitro in this era. Oh, God, no. They they barely was watching any of that shit. Yeah, the people who tuned in for the NWO were not also the people who were watching when it was Vader versus Ron Simmons. So Funk comes out, he quotes Mick Foley's book saying that Flair wouldn't make a pimple on Funk's ass. He also called Flair out for not properly disciplining his son for acting like a fool, which I found hilarious. That is incredibly great and fair because David Flair is running around like a jackass right now. It's like, your son is out here acting like an idiot. I would take him behind the shed and wear him out. Like, yeah, good job, Terry Funk. We need some discipline around here. David Flair's part in all of this is maybe my favorite part of the whole feud. Because then Terry Funk challenges David Hart yes. to a fucking Texas death match. Proceeds to beat the fucking shit out of him. To the and point where Arn up- Anderson goes up to Flair and says, you are a fucking terrible father. I love <laughs> the like- running thread. This is a sequel to 1999, not Steve's version, um, where it was established that Ric Flair is a terrible father. Even Hulk Hogan buried him for being a bad dad. But like watching Arn go up to Flair and be like, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with you? That's your son. Why are you letting him do this? Um, off screen, Kevin Nash had injured his ankle slipping on ice and had to have surgery. So he's not, he's not on any of these shows. Look, it's not that funny because like you're seven feet tall and like any tripping accident is like way more dramatic. I get that. WCW, you gotta salt the parking lot. Like the first Brett almost pancaked his car trying to drive out of the lot. And now Nash hurts himself slipping on ice. I just love the idea though. If that's a real injury and let's assume for a second that it is when he like limps, when he like limps into the locker room, is everyone back there? Like, Oh sure. Sure. Kev. Uh, this show did a 2.79 rating second lowest of all time. Woof. Uh, the rating's not supposed to go down after football season ends. It's supposed to go up. Yeah. <laughs> Over on Raw that night, the Radicals debuted and popped a massive quarter hour. That match was that the match with like them versus DX. That was that was the next week. This was okay. when they interrupt. It's a match between like. It's like head cheese against the X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws or something. And they just, like, they get into it with Road Dog, and then they jump the railing and beat the shit out of him. Because that, like, huge eight-man or whatever it is, is, like, one of the biggest matches of the entire era. Oh, yeah. that Yeah, that's the next week. That draws a monster raid in. Um Nitro on February 7th. We had Sid versus Scott Hall for the WCW title. Uh, Jarrett stopped Hall from winning by smashing a guitar over his head. Sure. Uh, 
Nitro on February 14th. This is their big chance. They're unopposed because Raw is preempted for the Westminster Dog Show. Those damn puppies again. Nash appeared for the first time in a few weeks to announce the Super Brawl main event would be Sid versus Jarrett versus Hall. And Hulk Hogan, actually Hulk Hogan had returned on Thunder the previous week for some reason. But he returned here to Nitro to accept Lex Luger's challenge for Super Brawl and also face Ric Flair in the main event of the show. And he also confusingly keeps referring to the fact that he's he might be red and yellow Hogan, but he's also Hollywood Hogan at the same time. Yeah. Like he's having like an identity crisis storyline. Hollywood is still inside of him. That evil could come out anytime. Sure. Do you think he should have done like a Muda thing where like Hollywood Hogan would come out in his big matches? Now that is fascinating. Isn't like that kind you of anger him enough. Warp, 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 warp warp into hollywood like i think he should have just been hollywood hogan i don't think wcw red and yellow hogan doesn't work and i think that hollywood hogan as a baby face would have worked yeah. just fine like I'd, people like hollywood hogan like it's fine but that's a that's a funny idea like for years later when somebody really gets to him like when like vince was like going nuts on him for that like match they had at wrestlemania he should have come out as hollywood to be like it's on motherfucker <laughs> The pop when he came out in the black and white would have been huge. Yeah. Um, Hall missed this show because he was messed up out of his mind on a flight back from a tour of Germany. Yep. And he's still going to be in the pay-per-view main event here. And do a perfectly good job. However, this will be his last ever WCW pay-per-view. It sure fucking will be. Yeah. All right. Before we get to the show, are you ready for what I can promise you will be one of the wildest lightning rounds of all time? I am certain that I'm not ready, but I want it so badly. (laughs) Masa Chono and Jeff Farmer, a.k.a. NWO Sting, teamed up against Mike Rotundo and Rick Steiner on Nitro. All right, so so this is the blow-off? To the Masatona randomly showing up in that segment at the last show. Yeah, is th- is that now he's like okay? Farmer was in team. Uh, he was in uh, NWO Japan, but by now it's uh, Team Two Thousand, right? Yeah, it's Team Two Thousand. Like, listen, some uh, the corrupt unlife <laughs> that Jeff Farmer continues to lead after. <laughs> the shitty bogus sting angle where they just say like, well, we can't use this anymore. Sin is asked to Japan and he just keeps doing that for years. It's probably like 2005 and he was still playing sting on shows over there. Yeah. It was just like, and everyone knew he was bogus sting and like nobody, it was, he was <laughs> there. Yeah. How about that match against Mike Rotundo against the varsity club? Do you think that Rotundo would, like, recognize Chono as like, oh, you mean the guy who had that shit match with Rick Rude? <laughs> oh, it's like the opposite of Moxley marking out the kill shit that Swerve Strickland was kill shot and yeah, like, around. Oh, my God, wait a minute. I know this guy. This guy fucking sucks. Oh, he had the shittiest match ever at Halloween Havoc. <laughs> uh, Scott Steiner came out for his promo in Columbus wearing Michigan gear. He said it had been five years since Ohio State had beaten Michigan. It had, in fact, only been one year. 
Yeah, I don't really think he pays attention. Yeah. Though that's incredible, incredible liquid that's heat. Yeah. Because he is associated so strongly with that university. Yeah. To to walk into Ohio State territory, that that's awesome. It's a real shame they've never had him as the guest picker on college game day when they're in Ann Arbor. That would be epic. Give him an open mic in Ann Arbor and just let him cook. Oklahoma was stripped of the cruiserweight title for being over the weight limit. I mean, at least that makes sense. <laughs> Truth and he really shouldn't have been able to compete for it in the first place. Yes. As revealed by Bruce Pritchard on Something to Wrestle, Conan called Pritchard about getting in with the WWF, but Pritchard didn't realize who it was as he only referred to himself as K-Dog during their conversation. We've heard many great stories, but I think that's my favorite something to wrestle with story because of the earnestness with which Bruce yes. Pritchard's like tried to defend that. He's just like, it, he didn't say it was Conan. He just kept saying it was K-Dog. I know who Conan is. Do you think he actually didn't know it was Conan or do you think he was just being a dick? I honestly don't think he knew, which is the stupidest shit ever. Like he would have thought that at some point during the conversation, he would have asked like, all but right, Conan- like, where are you? Like, where are you wrestling right now? Oh, WCW? All right, well, uh, let's learn more about that. No, he was just like, send me a tape, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Send me a tape and your eight bites in. Or did he not know who Conan was? I mean, he had... No, he said that he knew Conan. He knew him well. Conan had been in the WWF. He was Max Moon. Yeah, he was Max Moon. Yeah. (laughs) Conan was who they went to to get all of those AAA wrestlers for that one uh, Royal Rumble. And Conan did it, even though they were in, he was in WC. It's like Dusty in the bull rope. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he got a cut. Um, the demon's hydraulic lift malfunctioned, and he was stuck in his coffin for several minutes. Hope he's not claustrophobic. That's terrifying, yeah. man. You will never catch my ass doing any sort of coffin gimmick. Oh. No way. <laughs> Meltzer reported that Goldberg versus Tank Abbott was the planned Starcade main event. Yeah! I think, that, I think that plan comes to an end on this show <laughs> for reasons we'll talk about. Like, I, I remember that last week I said that, like, I at least sort of got where Russo was going with the Tank Abbott thing. Understand that after this night, there's no way you could have Tank Abbott even on your programming anymore. That's how bad this night goes. <laughs> the decision was made to only fly wrestlers who they were going to use on TV to the shows, as they'd previously been flying the entire roster in. They had hundreds of guys under contract. Insane! I can't believe they were, but they were. I report, like I believe they were flying over a hundred people to TV every week and using, you know, thirty of them. Yeah, the idea. Plan ahead. Yeah, but the idea that they were flying Mike Rotundo in to go to catering every fucking week is insane. Shane Douglas heard that Malenko, Guerrero, Saturn, and Benoit were in Connecticut negotiating with the WWF. He called Malenko, and Malenko denied it. Douglas then called the hotel where wrestlers stayed when they were visiting the WWF and asked if Dean Malenko was there, and it was confirmed to him that he was. 
I do love the fact that he would have known that from his yeah. time there before. And so it fucking special investigators. And the whole reason was they were trying to leave him behind. And he was yes. like, well, maybe this is my way back into Vince's territory. No, they know he's an anchor around their neck. Yeah. If they, if they say you can have us, but we got to bring Shane, nope. they don't bring them in. <laughs> yeah, they know Shane has heat with triple H. Like they're not idiots. Yep. Yeah, so basically Shane and Conan and some other guys were thinking of quitting, but I think they all put, I mean, like we know what about Conan and Pritchard. I don't think there's any way the WWF would have been interested in Conan at this point. Like the rest of the, Shane knows he can't get in there. So the rest of the guys, I think, just kind of put the feelers out when there's nothing there, they decide to stay. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah, there's, what would Conan have even done? Can you imagine him in that product at that time? Like it just would have been a complete not connection. Ric Flair was rumored to be running for governor of North Carolina. He did not run. Thank God. Can you imagine the shit that would have come out? Like, thank God we only know the things about Ric Flair that we do know. You know what I mean? I Oh my God. I love the idea of like a Ric Flair opposition research file. I would put that together myself. Actually, I would be very well qualified to put that together. I'd know all kinds of things. Most people don't. It would just be like the juiciest job anyone had ever been handled. Like you wouldn't even have to try that hard. Ask anyone who's ever met him. Like, yeah. Search, read that David Shoemaker column. Yeah. I met him for 30 seconds one time and he sexually harassed me twice. Sure. <laughs> Meltzer referred to Juggalo Championship Wrestling as Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Unclear if that was a typo. And they changed their name to that. Oh, wait. So it wasn't a typo at all. That was just accurate I, reporting. I actually don't know if they had originally been named Champion Shit or if they changed it to that in response to Meltzer calling them that. I don't know. On commentary, Mark Madden asked Tony Schiavone what you get when you spell Tulsa backwards. What do you get when you spell Tulsa backwards? A slut. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yikes. (laughs) In an interview with Bubba the Love Sponge, Hogan buried Kidman saying he couldn't draw at a flea market. You know what? Hogan's right. Hogan's right! This whole fucking Kidman bullshit. And the fucking dirt sheets were kissing Kidman's ass all the time, acting like he was a star because he did flippy shit. I just, I don't get it. Billy Looks Kidman, like a crack addict. He is literally the least star power of anyone on this show, and he is all over these shows. Of ever of all the cruiserweights in the entire peak cruiserweight division era, he's the, he's the least interesting. Yes, he's, he's clearly Java. the worst. I I mean, yeah, like of all the guys that you had, him, just because well, he's like the only white guy. Like, why why is it him? And finally, the hammer. Scott Steiner went off script during a promo on Nitro to bury Ric Flair. He called him a, quote, butt-sucking ass-kisser and said that people turned the channel to the WWF to watch Steve Austin when Flair came out last week, which was ironic since Flair and his buddies got Austin fired from WCW back in the day. He ended his promo by saying WCW sucks. This is one of the greatest promos of all time. (laughs) 
they they don't bleep out butt sucking ass kisser on Peacock. But I can promise you when they aired it live, they did. So they bleeped the whole sentence. And I just like freaked out watching it because I'm like, he just said the most obscene thing ever. that Because you could believe that, that yeah. he could say anything, like literally anything. It's Scott Steiner. That's actually very tame for what you would imagine he had said. Oh, yeah. That's got him, this got him sent home. He was trying to get himself fired. He wanted to go to the WWF. But I just love the idea that, like, in the middle of this segment, he's just like, WWF's awesome. They should hire me right yeah. now. All right. So, beginning of the show, it's Sunday, February 20th, 2000. We are at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California, the recurring home of Super Brawl. Uh, there's, like, 8,500 people in attendance. Only 55 paid for a $177,000 gate. Not great. No, not great. I don't think you're ready for this buy rate. So, like, a a bad buy rate during that era, like a bad buy rate, is like a 1.5 or something like that, right? Like a 1, something like that? This does a 0.15. 70,000 buys. Steve, TNE beat that one time. AEW today beats every single one of these with an audience that's a fraction the size and more expensive pay-per-views and people having been conditioned not to pay for wrestling anymore. AEW yeah, beats this every single time they do a pay-per-view. Let's be clear about this. We we made a huge deal during our TNA season about like the fact that like they have a million people watching and they're yeah. translating it into 55,000 paid every month. But this is so much worse because they have millions. Oh yeah, watching. they have like over to at least. I mean, over two million. The rating two point five. I don't know what that translates to. Back, I think like a one back then. I think was somewhere around a million homes. They have like between three and four million people watching them per week. So to convert that into seventy thousand buys means that like people are are willing to watch your product casually some of the time. <laughs> But they're not willing to buy it. The The greatest evidence of health in a product is to compare the paying customers to the casual watching customers. And the more that that combines, the healthier your product is. This is the unhealthiest a product has ever been in any context. To my knowledge, before this, the only WCW show to draw worse than that was the Battle Bowl pay-per-view they did in 1993 they did it in november so it was between halloween havoc and starcade and it only did 50,000 buys yeah that's the thing during those early 90s when we make fun of so much there were still passionate fans who were willing to buy these shows more so than there are here even though there are millions more actual wcw fans now Back then, when only 100,000 people in the world gave a shit about WCW, 100,000 of them were buying the pay-per-view. The other thing, this is the first match for, like, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan are wrestling on this show for the first time in, like, six months. First time since Halloween Havoc. And it gets 70,000 buys. 
Like every single other time you can shit on the, you know, vanilla midgets and whatever for not being able to draw. But like Hogan and Flair can't draw here. Sid, who we adore, can't draw here. Nobody can draw for this company anymore. Because it's not about the people on the show anymore. People aren't willing to give money to this product. That's just it's a clear statement. It's just they're uncredible at this point. Nobody buys that. I, I mean, They've destroyed the title at this point. It's changed so it's changed hands so many times, been held up so many times. It doesn't mean anything. And nobody buys, you know, when they promise a match that they're actually going to deliver it and it's not going to be bullshit. And but like the funny thing about that is like it almost doesn't even fully explain like the degree no. because it explains why it would drop off. Like there have been a million times at WWE where like, like they've devalued all the titles and you don't believe a thing they say. Yeah. And like the pay-per-view buys go down and it sucks, but never like this. Super like, Brawl the previous year did over 500,000 buys. Yes. They did huge business for that Hogan flair match. Now, largely I think uh, the biggest concern here is that like wwe pay-per-views are now must buys yeah. so like you, everyone who's buying a pay-per-view isn't making a choice anymore they're just gonna buy that one why would you waste your money on this but when you can have that the previous year it was austin versus mcmahon in february and that also did five hundred thousand buys people bought but that was that month that's true but that one actually was super disappointing for what they it expected was. it yeah. was but so like it's still, you know, people, the a year before this, people were still willing to spend their money on this product. They aren't anymore. No product has ever dropped off in a year. Like, as much as we talk oh, about TNA, yes. TNA just never got big. Like, it just never actually made it. Like, it was aborted from the start, no matter what we thought of it. AEW is pretty much plateaued at a certain point. WWE has gone up and down a million times, but it's never really gone that far down or that far up comparatively. Nothing has ever dropped like this dropped. Uh, on commentary, we've got Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Mark Madden. Uh, Madden replaces Bobby Heenan. And I know this is heresy, but I actually think like Mark Madden is better than Bobby Heenan was at this point. I'm it's disgusted. A fresh, it's a you. fresh voice. It's not that I don't agree with you because Bobby Heenan was just so depressed that it made me depressed listening to him. And despite the fact that I I never want to say anything positive about Mark Madden ever, I will be generous in this matter and say that at the very least, he's a competent color commentator. He always has something to say. He clearly comes well prepared. Like he's he's never at a loss for words. That's great. It's wonderful. The only problem with Mark Madden's commentary is that Mark Madden himself is doing it. (laughs) Uh, we open with Mean Gene outside of Nash's office, but it's Jarrett who's in there. He says he's running the show tonight. Man, this there is a are, lot of this is a lot of Jeff Jarrett. I got to be clear about this. We've all come around as a society on Jeff Jarrett. We we love him now. He's the fucking greatest. He's the last outlaw. He's the one carny motherfucker who worked the business. That's all great. Jeff Jarrett here is maybe the shittiest character in the history of wrestling. I hate him so much. Like through all the booking changes, the one constant is they feel like they need to push Jeff Jarrett to the moon, but he doesn't even have a character. Like his character is that he no sells everything and i don't mean like moves i mean like every development is who gives a shit fucking slap nut no big deal it's on the chosen one 
it's just the same thing yeah. over and over. All right, opening match is for the Cruiserweight title. We've got Lash LaRue versus The Artist, formerly known as Prince Iakea. Do you think if we, like, made some kind of, like, pachinko machine and we pulled out random, like, names out of a fucking, like, bowl, we could so easily make a better match than this from guys they just have sitting around and catering? Yeah, of everybody in the Cruiserweight division, this is who you're going with. Like Lash okay. LaRue looks like a dickhead. How is he yeah. a babyface? This is the thing. You think the artist formerly known as Prince IAK is a thing. It's not. It's a it's a fine pun, I guess. It's a funny one time. Like if he showed up one time like for a Halloween episode dressed as Prince, you would chuckle at it, and that would be that. Yes. They just somebody backstage really loves puns. And around this time they just start going ham on the misfits in action is just like one person's sick sick fantasy of a whole pun stable yeah i don't know if russo came up with the artist or if this was a nash thing and this sounds like nash doesn't it yeah the 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 humor feels like nash don't you Uh, feel like he has been calling prince ikea that backstage for years (laughs) he's accompanied by charmel who's going by paisley here yeah LaRue starts the match by smacking Paisley's ass. He sure does. <laughs> she then gets revenge after the artist gets LaRue down and she gets to kick him in the ribs. This all happens right in front of the referee. and he doesn't The referee do does not give a shit. <laughs> uh, neither of these guys are high flyers, so this really doesn't resemble the you know WCW cruiserweight style we're used to. The fascinating thing is that Prince IAK has been around in this company for years. He's yeah, only had like two high-profile matches. He's not good. Oh, he's so bad. But everybody respects his dad so much that they kept trying to push him. But like, there's nothing wrong with this match that wouldn't be fixed by replacing one or the other with somebody actually good. Like, if this was Prince IAK versus Psychosis, yep. sick. That's this fine. Exactly what Psychosis is there for. Like, he's literally, like, the first name I put pick up in my head. But isn't he, like, the right choice for something like this? Like, he's just sitting back there. He was there. He was, you know, the carpenter of the Cruiserweight division. He put people yeah. over. He built their houses. Um, after six minutes, Paisley helps the artist block a Frankensteiner, and then he gets the win with the jumping DDT. Not yep. a very good match. Um, the game we're going to play tonight, who booked this shit? Um, opening with a cruiserweight match feels like Sullivan, but the participants here feel more like a Nash thing. Although I think Sullivan liked Iakea because he was close with his dad. I would bet that this is probably just a Sullivan straight across the board. Like Iakea's gimmick is definitely Nash, but like I feel like this is just like oh let's give uh, two young guys a young shot. Young guys, in there. new guys, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just Sullivan. Sullivan is the man who came up with the cruiserweight opener. That's that's his deal. Uh, Mean Gene interviews Brian Nobbs, and then we've got a hardcore title match with Bam Bam Bigelow defending against Brian Nobbs. Nobbs has weirdly peppy music. This whole Brian Nobbs package that we're doing here, here? where he and Fit Finley are dressed like the Dudley boys. Exactly the same. And like... 
Brian Obbs has been taken under Fit Finley's wing, despite the fact that he's like 42 fucking he's years old. Old ass man. And like Fit Finley never talks. He's just there in the background being ominous. <laughs> and Bam Bam Bigelow looks so sad. He's not even dressing like Bam Bam anymore. He's just no, like wearing, he's... Swe- wearing like sweatpants and t-shirts now. He's wearing a shirt, guys. He's just... Doesn't feel like the real Bam Bam anymore. No. And like... We're pushing Brian Knob. That's what we're doing with this hardcore division. We have now built it around yeah. Brian Knobs. I believe he held the hardcore title the most times of anyone. I believe that you're right. Guys. That didn't trigger Stump Steve? No, it didn't. It probably should have. Like, there's still time <laughs> one, for that. <laughs> one of these times, there'll be a question about the WCW hardcore title. Name every hardcore champion. I might be able to. There really You might be able to. That, that's what terrifies me. Um, I mean, they have a hardcore match. The story is Nobbs doesn't want Finley's help, but he gets it at the end of the match when Bam Bam goes up to the top. Finley distracts him, and the knobs crotches Bam Bam, hits him with a trash trash can lid and pins him. It's kind of sad to see Bam Bam like this. This just doesn't look like Bam Bam Bigelow anymore. feels like all the fire's gone out of him. Yeah, this last run for Bam Bam, where he's just cashing checks, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's it's a drag, man. It's very depressing. Uh, backstage, Flair flirts with Elizabeth, and then he fires up Luger. This is the beginning of what will be called Team Package. Team Package. Team Package. I do love the idea of Flair being like, Elizabeth, you look the best you've ever looked, including when I used to fuck you a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember that? When Woo! I was banging you on the sly? <laughs> oh, we forgot. Who who booked that hardcore match? Is that a Nash thing? I feel like... Listen, Brian Knobs winning any matches is a Hulk Hogan thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hulk doing a favor for his buddy. This is just Hulkster. Next up, we've got Three Count versus Norman Smiley. Uh, three Count is Evan Courageous, Shannon Moore, and Shane Helms with a boy band gimmick that I actually enjoy. Let me be clear. Three count is a great idea. Actually, this is this is the kind of gimmick that Vince McMahon could never come up with because Vince McMahon is 25 years way too cutting sort of edge. cultural. Yeah. yeah, like if you went around and said in the year 2000, oh, what yeah. do wrestling fans hate? Boy bands is easily top biggest three. heels because how much are the dudes gonna hate that their girlfriends think these guys are cute? Yes. Yeah. And the fact that they're like tiny makes it so much better. Like, it's so good. Um, I don't believe any of them can sing, which actually makes it even better. It makes it so much better. Evan Courageous is, like, nine years older than the other two, which is funny. I think that the, these guys would have made, like, a great, like, Spirit Squad-style thing for somebody. Like, I don't know. I just, I love the recount. When they eventually get into their feud with the young dragons and they just wrestle each other 800 million times, that's the last good thing in this company. Norman Smiley comes out wearing a Jerry Rice jersey and football pads. Madden points out that Rice usually draws triple coverage, so it's appropriate that Smiley's in a three-on-one match here. 
why is Norman Smiley in a three-on-one handicap match? I have no idea. Like, I watched the Nitros that led to this very casually. I did a lot of fast-forwarding. Uh, the only thing I saw is Smiley got choke slammed off the apron through a table by the wall. I don't know why he's in a three-on-one match. We're going to talk about this here in a little bit, but the wall is basically feuding with everyone on the entire <laughs> roster at the same time <laughs> and beating all of their asses. Yeah. Helms goes for a dive from the top rope and almost kills himself landing on his head. He does. What the fuck, Shane? Uh, Norman tries for his Norman conquest, uh, rear naked choke finisher, but it gets broken up and then the numbers get to be too much as all three count hit top rope splashes and then more locks on a walls of Jericho to get the submission win. My other favorite thing about three count is that they are the most obviously influenced by WWE of anybody on the roster. They're just, their whole deal is that they're just doing Hardy boys shit. Because Shannon and Shane know the Hardy Boys. Yeah. They wrestled with them in their back backyard promotion in North Carolina, right? Yeah. So they're just like chatting it up. And they'll, they'll just like bust out random WWE finishers from time to time. Next up, we've got the Demon versus the Wall. Oh, who booked that shit? Uh, three Count feels like a Nash thing. Well, Three Count was probably invented by Russo, but I feel like Nash would love this. Oh, yeah. Like, you get the vibe that, like, most of the mid-card acts here are the ones that Nash likes, yeah. and that's why they're here. But, like, he's not the one booking them in these matches. <laughs> and I'm sure Nash loved Norman Smiley. Rightfully so. Norman Smiley is awesome. Absolutely. Uh, we've got the Demon against the Wall up next. <sighs> Dude, this is a nightmare. Um... This is billed as a special main event. Reportedly, that's because the agreement with Kiss to use their likeness stipulated that the Demon would get a certain number of pay-per-view main events. I have two very specific things to say about this match before it ever begins. The first one is as the demon is coming out with his incredibly opulent entrance yeah. with the red lights and the fireworks and the music, which is actual kiss music. Cause he, they, he's Came literally a God, branded Thunder, figure. I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, and like, he looks pretty good. I'm not going to like, he looks Dale fine. Like, he looks in great shape. Dale Torborg himself sucks so bad and he's cheesing it for the camera so hard that it's really ruining the effect. Like if he played this, like the undertaker, it would be pretty cool while he's coming out. He's dripping like this red liquid from his mouth. Like Gene Simmons always did. And like some, like Mark Madden literally says, Oh, that can't be blood. What's the special effect? What's the gimmick? And then Tony Giovanni literally says what the special effect is. It's like, oh, it's a baking soda plus red dye number nine. It's like, this is a character you're trying to get over. You literally just exposed his gimmick. Oh, Tony Giovanni would be enough of a kiss mark that he would know exactly what the red liquid was. The best part of that is that Mike Tanay then like basically calls him a nerd, which is the first time Mike yes. Tanay has ever been able to say that to someone. <laughs> Mike Tanay being the cool kid for once. Um, <laughs> Detroit Rock City came out on DVD back around Christmas, so I feel like we're past the point where this is useful cross promotion. It's dumb, and like, but like, I, I understand how it happened, 
and like it's clearly past its sell by date and they're about to murder him so they know that and then there's the wall why is the wall still dressing like a blues brother this is so important to me this is the year 2000 so everyone's clothes are so baggy so the Those wall here is suits. He's dressed in suit pants, a white dress shirt and a tie. But his white dress shirt is like a 20 XL. And so during the course of this match, as it like comes untucked, it looks like he's wearing like a pirate blouse. He's like a fucking asshole. The wall actually goes to the top, but it gets thrown off. And then Demon goes to the top and Wall chokeslams him off the top and gets the pen. When Wall gets thrown off, he lands on his head. Yeah. And it looks, it honestly looks like he may have broken his neck. And then he just gets up and casually chokes. The Wall has the shittiest chokeslam in the history of wrestling. Is that fair to say? It's it's not good. It's pretty bad. And it's yeah. his whole gimmick. His whole <sighs> gimmick is that he does it. Um, this one at Bill Bush, just because it's a Turner corporate thing. I do think Nash was a big fan of the wall is what I've heard. Hogan was a big advocate for the wall. I think all of them saw money in the wall. Understand, like, understandably. I just like the, the, the guy. Yeah. He's so big. I just, why is he wrestling? Like he was originally wearing a suit because he was Berlin's bodyguard. I don't know why he's still dressing like that now. But honestly, if it was like a fitted suit, like maybe that works. Maybe. But he just looks big and sloppy and bad. And like his hair is bad and his goatee is bad and he can't wrestle. Like what he should be is the guy from uh, ECW, the one who just did. Yeah. That's what he should be. Why didn't like, they just bring in 911? I'm sure they could have afforded him. That's a really great question. Did you know that WWE tried to bring in 911 for a, a match? No, who was he going to wrestle? I think it was just when they were doing like the ECW like stuff. He was oh, going to yeah. like come in and choke slam the shit out of everybody. Yeah, like, why not? Th- I mean, he's the only guy over six foot they had. So, of yeah. course, they would have looked at him. Uh, backstage, Mean Gene interviews Ernest Miller, who has promised that James Brown will be here tonight. Gene points out James Brown is not here, and this is obviously a lie. The cat insists that James Brown will be here. The announcers are openly being like, no, he's not here. It's Mark Madden, the heel bullshit. announcer, is like, yeah. oh, yeah, I was hanging out with uh, James Brown and uh, the cat in the club last night. Obviously, no, you weren't. This is so clearly nothing, except. <laughs> Next up, we've got a leather jacket on a pole match or a skins match. They seem to alternate back and forth between calling it. It's Tank Abbott versus Big Al. Guys, I am vibrating with excitement to talk about this match. This might be the most, from bell to bell, wild match in the history of professional wrestling. I've never seen a match that was so difficult to predict from second to second what was about to happen next. You had no idea what was coming here at any point. So Big Al is a dude named Al Green, who is a longtime WCW jobber. Back in the early 90s, he was in a tag team with Kevin Nash. They were called the Master Blasters. They were a Road Warriors knockoff. And, like, somehow Kevin Nash was the workhorse in that team. It's clear that he's here as, like, a favor to Kevin, I'm assuming. I guess. Like, I guess. 
There's some sort of implied relationship between Tank Abbott and Big Al, though they never establish what that is. Not really, no. It was just like Big Al suddenly starts being in the front row, and they show him. And yeah, him and Tank, it's set, they act like they know each other from like UFC or something. I don't think that's true. I think no, it's there's supposed no to be like they true. were in a motorcycle gang together, but they, maybe they can't say that because they can't say motorcycle gang. Yeah, they are literally like this match is based on the idea of if Al can get Tank's jacket, he's out of the motorcycle gang. That's yeah. the plot of this story, except that they can't reference motorcycle yeah. gangs. So what the fuck are we doing? It's a skins match. I, I, all right, it's a skins match. Somebody's going to get skinned. So, okay, let's paint a word picture here because this is a very short match and we yeah. can ex- we can just describe everything that happens in it. Okay. The, the, okay, go the, ahead. the first thing that happens is Big Al pulls out a belt and he ties him and Abbott's arms together and they punch each other, which Big Al very surprisingly gets the better of. Yeah, this despite the fact that like the announcers are like, why would Tank Abbott agree to tie yeah. up the, his punching hand? That's all he does. Yeah, he loses the the right. He gets his right hand strapped, so he can't throw his big knockout punch. So Big Al busts loose of the strap, punches Tank Abbott in the face, which lays out Tank Abbott for about a minute yeah. of just flat non-moving unconsciousness which is the first time tank abbott has sold any move the entire time he's been in the company like i understand what they're going for with tank abbott like you need a rival for goldberg so bringing in a badass shoot fighter makes sense but i just tank abbott doesn't look scary to me he just looks kind of goofy like, would Tank Abbott be fixed if you just put him in trunks instead of gym shorts? Man, the shorts look terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a fucking hobo. I he mean, absolutely Who would does. be perfect is Bob Sapp. Who they, yeah. will oh. get, who they will get very soon. They will get later this year. He is He's wrestling in, like, NWA Wildside right now, and they do sign him late in 2000. He never makes it on TV because he's just training in the power plant when the company shuts down. But, like, Bob Sapp is who they need. They need the beast against Goldberg. That would be money. I want to be clear about this. If WCW had managed to stay open, they were, like, six months away from unleashing Bob Sapp on American television, and he would have been a megastar. Yeah. And they had AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels as the next generation of their cruiserweight division. Like, they had all the right horses, and they just didn't get them on TV in time. That's why Sullivan says he could have kicked Vince's ass in six weeks, just like he did before. So, okay. So, Tank Abbott is out. (coughs) Big Al grabs his legs, laboriously drags him, as if he's never done a crotch on the ring post spot before. Spends 30 seconds setting it up, then says, nah, it's too good for him. He climbs up on the turnbuckles and then starts standing on Tank Abbott's face. First, while supporting himself on the ropes, and then eventually just freeform standing on his face. There's no way to kayfabe that, right? No! No! Like, uh, he's just standing on his face. And yeah, like, Abbott kind of throws him off because I'm sure this hurt. And, like, Abbott suddenly starts no-selling whatever, and then he goes over and just punches Big Al directly in his fucking face, knocks him out. And then 
he gets Al up on his shoulders and tries to climb, you know, he climbs up on the top rope and he tries to climb the pole with him on his shoulders, but he loses his grip and just drops him face first on the ring steps. This is like a nine foot drop onto the ring steps. And like, first of all, why would anybody think Tank Abbott could just deadlift a guy? Big Al's bigger than him. I take it up. It's not a muscle guy. Like, what are we doing here? And then as soon as he drops him down, Big Al flops seemingly unconscious. I doubt he was selling. Take it jumps down from the top rope instead of winning the match, jumps down to the floor, punches him as hard as he can right in the fucking heart, then jumps back up and wins the match. Do you think this match broke down? I feel like this became kind of a real fight here. Oh, I, I bet you that, like, I bet you Big Al talked to Tank Abbott about the standing on his face spot. Like, oh, yeah, and then I'm going to support myself on the ropes. Because it genuinely looked like Big Al in the moment improvised, oh, letting go God. of the ropes and just surfing on this man's head. Yeah. The whole point is if you're still holding the ropes, that's what's holding your weight. That's how that works. But, like, it's dangerous to put your full weight on somebody's <laughs> body much less their head you could break their orbital bone you could break their nose you could break their skull fracture their skull this is a 350 pound man so that that punch that tank abbott throws it could very well have been a shoot like we don't know but like big al could have been knocked out that whole time and if big al's knocked out that makes sense why he falls because like he's not helping like stay on the shoulders he just dropping off dead left yeah. Okay, so Tank Abbott celebrates with the leather jacket. He then reaches into the pocket and pulls out a knife—a <laughs> legit knife. I didn't a fucking catch. knife. Was this? Would you call this a straight razor or a switchblade? I think it was a switchblade. It was a switchblade. Yes. He pulls this way and literally like he's like briefly happy and then he feels he like grabs into the pocket and then he suddenly like gotta kill this motherfucker now. So he pulls out the switchblade, he goes down to the floor, puts the blade to Al's throat and says, I could fucking kill you right now. I could fucking kill you. Again, this part has to be a work because why else would the fucking switchblade be there? Like, this is what's supposed to happen. And maybe, I I do wonder, maybe Al's supposed to be conscious in selling this. Maybe it's supposed to be like a give and take. But Al's unconscious. It looks like Tank Abbott is threatening to kill an unconscious man live on television. Okay, here's here's what was in the Observer about this. Okay. Allegedly... Abbott went to Sullivan and asked him if he could use a weapon in the match. And Sullivan said yes, you know, assuming he meant like a chair or a trash can or something. And this was Abbott's idea by a weapon. He meant a knife. Think Abbott did this himself? This wasn't like a story beat? No, this is Tank Abbott's idea. He just okay. like, like he's just like, well, it's a biker match. Of course, I'm gonna pull a blade on him. Okay, let's be clear. The fact that it's after the match makes it so much wilder because you won. Why are you <laughs> threatening to kill him now? But also, 
So now that makes me think even more that Al was unconscious. Because if Al was awake, he would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? He would have run away. I would have run away. (laughs) If a man who looked like Tank Abbott was your co-worker, and then he pulled a knife on you, and you would run. Shivani, in a very, like, thinking-on-his-feet moment, says that he thinks it's a pair of scissors and he's going to cut Al's beard off. Except Big Al doesn't have a beard, but he's trying. Should have said it's a straight razor and he's going to cut his beard off. Also, using the word scissors is kind of a loaded term in WCW when Sid's on top. That's not better. They quickly cut away to a shot of the crowd. That's what Sid should have said. Like, oh, I was just trying to cut his beard. <laughs> I was trying to cut Arn's beard. Sorry about that. This moment, like when people talk about all the crazy stuff that happened in WCW, this usually doesn't make the list, and it really should. This is one of the wildest things I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Yeah, the only thing anyone ever mentions from the show is the next segment, like the wrestling for the ownership of the letter T, which is funny in its own way. And we're going to talk about that. But like this, I've never seen a wrestler put a knife to another wrestler's throat and said, I could fucking kill you right now. What is happening? I mean, mean, I've seen wrestlers use knives before, like New Jack course did a number of times we did that on one of the early starcades gary hart used his blade on somebody but like in 2000 like right in front of the kid and and to find out that that was a shoot that he did that on his own like you have to fire him right like the second he comes back through the curtain he's on the unemployment line i mean do you think sullivan was like okay my bad probably should have clarified what i meant (laughs) I guess uh, I did say he could have a weapon. Gla- Should have been clear. Let me ask you a question. What if he had pulled a gun? <laughs> because, like... Who knows? Yeah. Could have just had a revolver in there. It's not that far away. If he pulled a gun, would sec- like would police have tackled him? Would security? They would have had to, right? But no, they would have thought it was part of the show. Yeah, part of the show. I mean, it was. I don't think he was actually threatening Big Al. I think this was just part of the story. But this is the thing. No, there are only two people in the whole room. Who know? Because if, if Al's unconscious, who know that it's real? And that's Tank and fucking Kevin Sullivan, who would have been backstage shitting his pants. <laughs> my god all right yeah next we got the most infamous thing on the show it's big t versus booker not booker t because he's not allowed to call himself booker t anymore this is always remembered as being for the letter t but it's actually for all the harlem heat intellectual property like booker can't wear his fire tights anymore he can't come out to the harlem heat music he has to go back to being GI bro if he loses. He comes. He's coming out to the most hilarious like yeah. doop dee doo dee dee doop dee doop. Ahmed is so big here. He is. He looks <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Way over three hundred pounds and wrestling in jeans and a t-shirt. Let me say something slightly controversial, which I feel like we're doing with increasingly regularity on these shows. <laughs> yeah. I like this storyline. 
I think the idea yeah. of Stevie Ray being like, hey, man, you sold out. All you care about is these white people yeah. in the arenas. You don't not believe in the, you're not from the hood anymore. You lost sight of all of that. He starts I'm gonna bringing get in, in all these scary guys from the old neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And Booker being like, you were the runt of the block. I protected you from all these guys. These are the real killers. You don't understand what it's like out there. I protected you. It's such a great babyface thing to launch Booker. Like, I, I genuinely think that this is good and it's working. Sure, we can mock them for, like, the letter T. Yes. Of this. But that was that was being played tongue-in-cheek on the shows anyway. That's a joke that they're doing. <laughs> Big T. Flabby T. But if Ahmed and Johnson got, is not... Clarence, and they've got Clarence Mason from the Nation of yeah. Domination. I don't remember what he's called here. He's called Jay Biggs. Jay Biggs. Because he's little. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah. That This is uh, all very Kevin Nash-ish. Oh, we forgot to do who booked Big Al versus... <laughs> well, I guess Sullivan did. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the fact that Big Al is Nash's former tag team partner is a little sus to me. I feel like Sullivan and Nash were in a booking meeting together. And by that, I mean they were drinking whiskey at the hotel bar. And, like, Sullivan was like, oh, I need an opponent for Tank Abbott on this pay-per-view. And Nash was like, what about Big Big Al? Al? (laughs) We brought up Big Al for this one. Time to get Big Al a payday, man. Maybe his wife is not um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Um so like Ahmed was never a particularly good wrestler, but at least when he was in the WBF, he had an explosiveness and a quickness that he has lost here. I just want you to imagine what this storyline would be if Ahmed was still in shape. Oh man. Like what if he was still Ahmed? That'd be terrifying. Because then you bring him in and he's a killer. Yeah, that Booker would be awesome. That that match would be a dream. Unfortunately, he's not that. No. Booker hits, like, all his stuff. He hits the axe kick. He hits the Harlem side kick. Uh, he hits the bookend. Or, yeah, he hits a bookend. He can barely get, like, he gets up, like, six inches for it. It's actually funny. This is the most I've ever seen Ahmed sell. Like, Ahmed yeah. gets his ass whooped by Booker in this match. Booker... Hits a missile drop kick, but the lights go out in the middle of the pen. Now they're speculating because it's been said, Stevie said, somebody from your past who used to protect you is going to come here and betray you. Colonel Robert Barker? That would be. No, it's Sid because Sid is the one who founded the Harlem Heat. Oh, yeah. 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 They're speculating that it's Midnight, his former valet. Who, who, I, who has quit the company. I, I, yeah, it's definitely not her. How much sexual harassment must, must she have been subjected to as a oh, super muscular black woman? I feel like there's a lot of creeps on this roster who would have been into that. You are absolutely right about that. The fact that any of the Nitro girls did not sue this company is fucking stunning, really. I think I forgot to mention that this is when they've been sued for racial discrimination by Sonny Ono, Hard Body Harrison, and I think Hard Work Bobby Walker. And here's the funny thing. Even if they weren't guilty of those, which it's hard to say, but they, yeah, they're fucking guilty. Of course they are. Somebody's (laughs) racist as shit. Look who's running it. 
It's racist as shit. It's homophobic. It's unbelievably sexist. Like yeah. the most sexist group of people who ever lived. When the lights come back on, there's an even bigger dude. <laughs> you almost want to say it's just I for a second I thought like, oh, did Ahmed Ahmed change his shirt? Like there's another huge dude here. Oh wait, no. It's an even fatter guy. <laughs> Comically big. This is uh, Theodore Teddy Reed or 4x4 from Masterpiece No Limit Soldiers, who last I remember was fired because he was going, he got caught going through an airport with a, with a loaded handgun. But here they've decided to bring him back to make him part of this stable. I thought it was Viscera when I first saw Mark him. And I was like, yeah. I was disappointed when it wasn't. Because there are some guys that size who can move with, like, remarkable agility. Like, for all that Viscera sucks. Like, he's oh, remarkably yeah, agile Daddy for a second. Yeah. No. Big da- bring in Big Daddy. But this dude can't, looks like he's, like, Baruch Assault and Willy Wonka. Like, he, he's just waddling around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ahmed hits the Pearl River, River plunge and he gets the win. Yes, Booker has now been relegated forever into the dumpster heap. Here's the problem, though. They actually do make him G.I. bro. Like, they, they go through with that. Yes. That's the mistake. Like, this storyline's good right up until you realize that actually Vince Russo did want him to be G.I. bro. I do think Booker needs to, like, th- he starts wearing the trunks, which I think is a much better look for him yes. than the Harlem Heat fire tights. I think he had kind of outgrown that. Like, he needs... More of a, but he should have just gone to be the Booker T. He'll be later in the year when he's the champion. Basically, basically they make him a rock knockoff, but it works well enough. And like, this is a great opportunity for character advancement for him. Yeah. Like, but the GI bro, the GI bro thing feels like a joke that Kevin Nash took too far. Yes. Oh, who booked this? This this feels too put together as a storyline for Nash. This so probably, I'm gonna this guess is probably just a Russo carryover because they were doing this last month. Yeah, so like I feel like this had already been written out all the way. Yeah. Like Russo had probably written out the whole storyline. Yeah, so they'd they just already signed Ahmed, so they have to keep going with it. Yeah. Um, there's an interview with the maestro and then I've been, I've skipped several backstage. So there's a mysterious door backstage that the Harris brothers are trying to get open. Cause they want to see who's behind the door and they can't get it open. They try to get it open. Then they go get yeah. the janitor and they try to get the janitor open it, but he forgot that key. So he's got to go find the key. And then the Harris brothers get bored and give up. <laughs> See, that feels like a root like that running thread through the show feels like a Russo thing. But I mean, it might be like Nash and Russo have a lot of similarities in their philosophies. And I think maybe Nash had learned some things from Russo on how to structure a TV show. Yeah, I, I feel weird saying this, but I feel like Russo would have made it more interesting. Like there would yeah. have been more variety in what actually happened, because what but, actually happens is we never see the door open ever. No. And there could have been, like, there could have been there. more than one door, and you could have done funny things with, like, they get the door open, and there's someone unexpected in there. It's just like, no, you idiots, that was the wrong room. It's three the doors wrong, down. It was the wrong door. There was another door? Yeah, Kane, there was another door. 
That is the funniest segment in WWE history. And every and very few people remember it, and it makes me so happy. Only perverts like us. Just that story where uh, Carlito and Chris Masters lock Kane in a room, and Big Show's like, I'm coming, buddy. They, like, like stuck a forklift in front of him. Yeah, he's, he's like, trying, trying to, to pick it up. <laughs> and I'll get Kane it, buddy. Walks, Kane just walks up behind him and was like, yeah, it turns out there's another door back there. <laughs> That's the funniest fucking joke they've ever told yeah and big show's just like what there's other, those idiots there's another do- okay let's go kick their asses and then they just go kick their ass they do yeah but like the deadpan way kane says yeah there was another there's door, another door. <laughs> all right next up we've got vampiro versus kidman this is actually a pretty good match uh kidman being accompanied by mrs kidman tori wilson at this point this is the wildest shit in the world because not only is Billy Kidman an unlikable dickhead, but he's supposed to be a baby face and he has the hottest woman on the face of the earth there who is also taller than him. Just wrestling 101. Don't give a baby face a hot girl. Much less one that is, again, is literally taller than him. Makes him look so tiny. Like he looks like an asshole. <laughs> This is unsurprisingly a pretty good match. These are two very good wrestlers. Vampiro's money, man. When he yeah. makes his entrance, that one this company very, should be built around One of it. the very few good things about WCW 2000 is Vampiro. And they never successfully get him into the main event. Like, he had that feud with Sting where Sting just beats the shit out of him the whole time. Like, th- this company should be built around Vampiro. Uh, I say that Vampiro's a weird, horrible person <laughs> who everyone hates. So it's hard to say yeah. they should have built the company around him. But uh, the finish comes when Kidman reverses a superplex into a reverse DDT. This is a Sullivan thing, you think? I who was it backstage who was pushing Billy Kidman? That's the question. Who was um, it? Where is it coming get, from? He was getting his push all the way back in 98 when yes. Nash was booking. But like, okay, so which is, isn't Nash which is bizarre? Because Russo kept it going too. Yeah. As did Bischoff, as Everybody did Sullivan. Liked Everybody liked him for some reason. It's just. I think he sucks. He fucking, he has the worst look of any wrestler I've ever seen. In his jean shorts and his tank top and his skinny body. Like, the reason they, his character was that he was a heroin addict, because he looks like one. Yes. And, like, if you want to make him, like, your cruiserweight guy, that's fine. Whatever. But, like, they think, they see so much in him that they start pushing, they literally push him into a feud with Hogan, which even they realize is crazy. That felt, that felt passive aggressive. That felt like Hogan being like, oh, yeah, you think that guy's got something? Go ahead, put him in the ring with me. See if he's got it. Which, like, I don't know that any wrestler has ever been more exposed by a match than when he entered the ring with Hulk Hogan and looked like a child. And Hogan is just, like, Hogan sells for him, but it's just laughable. Yeah, like, but like Billy, they genuinely think he's like the next guy. And that's a joke, man. You guys have no idea. Uh, Then we've got our Sicilian stretcher match for the WCW tag titles. Uh, It's the Mamelukes against Crowbar and David Flair. I am all in on the Mamelukes. They're good. They might be like. 
every time we do a season, I fall in love with some random act. And sometimes it's so surprising. Like when I fell in love with Lex Luger last season, and I'm that like, that was wasn't... very surprising. But this time it's the Mamelukes, man. I love this stable. They just work. They make sense. They seem authentic. They seem like they're from a different wrestling product than this one, don't they? Like a, a smarter one. <laughs> Crowbar and Flair interrupted the wedding of one of their sisters, which is, of course, unforgivable. What an insult. They cut a promo where Vic Vita was just like, Johnny's so upset he can't even eat his cheese sandwich. And Johnny's like, yeah, and I always eat my cheese sandwich. (laughs) That's that's some good shit. This actually feels like Russo because the Sicilian stretcher is an old Bruno Sammartino gimmick. Everything about this is Russo, but it's the good Russo. Where, like, two mid-carters who aren't doing shit suddenly get, like, characters and stories that work, and they get over because the fans get attached to them. That's the good Russo. Yeah, and, like, because Russo's Italian, there's, like, an intelligence and, like, an attention to detail to this. That, like, he's like, oh, and the wedding needs to have this and this and this. Like, all these little things about it that make it work. Yeah, these characters feel lived in because they they're do. probably based on real people. Yeah, these are probably guys Russo actually knew from Staten Island or wherever he grew up. These are like his version of the Mean Street Posse. These are like the guys that he grew up with, Big Vito and Johnny down the street. Uh, this is the longest match on the show so far as they go 11 minutes. David Flair and Crowbar suck, but... <laughs> That's also an act that is at least interesting, if not good. The inter- right? I, I thought the internet was all over Crowbar's nuts back in the day. Everybody oh, thought were. he was... Yeah. Back when he was like Devin Storm on oh, the yeah. Indies, they thought he was the next big thing. Uh, Johnny the Bull seems to have borrowed Matt Hardy's clothes for this match. That is weird, isn't it? He's wearing like cargo pants and a really tight black t-shirt. Johnny the Bull might be the most athletic wrestler who ever lived. I don't him, know. Him or Bull Buchanan, who I assume is like his brother. But like he jumps up to the top yes. rope and he'll leap like 14 feet straight up in the air for a leg drop. I've, I don't. <laughs> Flair is out first as he's rolled up the aisle on the stretcher. Crowbar fights heroically, but he gets hit with a splash through a table. They roll him up the aisle and then they put Daphne in a wheelchair and roll her away. They tape over her mouth, and then, as Madden points out, they also appear to have taped her breasts. And, like, it, Madden says it in such a way that, like, he's concerned about the sexual yes. assault. And then Tony Schiavone says, well, at least they taped her mouth. And then he says, yeah, as long as they do that, it's fine. Jesus. <laughs> Great. <laughs> cool. Are the Mamelukes baby faces? Yes, they are. <laughs> Actually, kind of rules. And we didn't even mention. So they have Disco Inferno disco with them being an asshole, and they hate Disco. But that makes it even better. This is the <laughs> first Disco I've ever disco. liked, where he's just like the shitty hanger-on of that family. Yes, that's perfect. Like, and again, a good sense of humor. Yeah, they have him on like commentary, and he keeps being like, "Oh, I better go get involved." And they're like, "Sit down, Disco. You Shut suck. the fuck up." <laughs> No one needs your help. Oh, yeah. You're going to come do the chart buster. (laughs) Uh, Mean Gene interviews Sid, and then the cat comes out. Okay. First things first. 
This is like a 20-minute segment. It goes on so long. He talks shit to the crowd for a while for doubting that he actually had James Brown. This promo is terrible. He can't talk to save his life. This is garbage. Absolutely awful. And then a fake James Brown comes out. It's just like the dude who manages the cat wearing a bad wig. And of course, this is what all of us would assume yeah. this segment is. WWE's done this 40 times, right? We're just like, oh, we're going to have Hillary Clinton on the show today. And it's some horrible impersonator. And they do a dumb yeah. segment. It sucks. <laughs> and then the maestro comes out. I always think the maestro is somebody, but I don't know that I know him from anywhere else. Like, it's no, just a dude who showed up in WCW in 1999 with a gimmick that he was a composer. To be clear, yes, this character is that he is a composer of classical music. He only exists in this company basically for this feud where he's like, R&B music is gross and bad. I like classical. And most of the crowd is behind him because they're racist. Also, Ernest Miller earlier on this show said Beethoven. Beethoven just ripped off Little Richard and Little Richard just ripped off James Brown, which is chronologically impossible. (laughs) I, I laughed at that, though. Yeah. The maestro complains. And then, in one of the most shocking moments in pro wrestling history, James Brown music starts to play. A bunch of hip young people come out in the aisle and dance to it. And then the actual James Brown comes out. If you had been watching this... Okay, hold on. We got to put this in perspective for a second. Because I don't know that people... like. I don't know the average age of the people who listen to this show, but it's possible that they don't know who James Brown even is or don't understand the context of what this would have been at that moment. I don't even know like a celebrity who's comparable necessarily. No. Like I was like kicking around like Madonna or somebody like that. Somebody that like, yeah, somebody that you would never imagine they could possibly get, but whom the audience you're putting them in front of doesn't give a shit about. James Brown is one of, like, maybe the ten biggest musical acts of all time. Yeah. Like, like it's not that far off from getting Michael Jackson or Prince. Literally. Like, Michael Jackson and Prince are both very good corollaries to this. Like, it's like if WDB brought out Prince on Raw in, like, 2006. And you're like, what the fuck is Prince doing here? It's very similar to that. But also, James Brown is the worst person who ever lives. Yeah, man, I was reading his Wikipedia page, and there are some just awful things on there. Guys, go read his Wikipedia page right now. It is banger after banger after banger. You can read things like, while Otis Redding was performing alongside his former band Johnny Jenkins and the Pine Stoppers, Brown, reportedly wielding two shotguns, tried to shoot his musical rival Joe Tex. The incident led to multiple people, multiple people being shot and stabbed. Brown was still on parole at the time. (laughs) Seven people got shot. And after the shoot, I needed a man appeared and gave each of the injured people a hundred dollars apiece, not to press charges. Brown was never charged. That's one paragraph of dozens of paragraphs. That's one of like 30 terrible things he did. Uh, CNN did an investigation into whether he killed his second wife and found pretty credible evidence he did. To pull behind back the curtain for just one second, I often say things that 
might slightly err on the slanderous side from time to time. And sometimes Steve and even my wife from the other room have to pull me back. My wife loses her mind over this shit because she thinks we're going to get sued one day and she might be right. So I'm putting major quotation marks on this when I say it. But based on all the evidence, he definitely killed his wife one time. <laughs> I'm just saying CNN. It's like the fact that CNN felt the evidence was strong enough that they published an article about it really says something. This is not like some Alex Jones stuff. This was CNN. Yeah, literally. He hit her with a pipe and shot at her car. She pressed charges in October. She was dead in January. That's it's very suspicious. Guys. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so this that feels man like it deserves a podcast. Like we could just do a James Brown podcast apropos of nothing. Just like anyway, James Brown anyway, gets yeah. in the ring and he dances with the cat and the crowd goes wild. And like he actually puts his cape on the cat, which is an incredible like that's the equivalent of like rick flair giving somebody his robe is the way i see that it's even bigger james brown never put anybody over in any circumstance his entire life james James Brown, brown famously a miserable prick james brown is a star on a level that wcw had no business even interacting with and he's here with a giant smile on his face dancing his ass off and putting over ernest the cat miller I am beyond amazed that this took place. Beyond amazed. So my best theory on how this came together, Teddy Long worked for James Brown way back in the day. He was in James Brown's entourage. Yeah, he's talked about it. If you Google like Teddy Long and James Brown, you can find photos of them together. He talked about it on Cornette's podcast years ago about how he worked for James Brown and what it was like. It's a whole fascinating story. Now, Teddy Long is in the WWF at the time, so it seems strange, but I can maybe believe that like Sullivan called and was like, hey, Teddy, you know, could you call James Brown and see if he'll do this show if we pay him 20 grand? And again, like Turner has a lot of people yeah. in it who can reach out to like Hank Aaron could have reached out to James Brown. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Like, it's not hard to imagine how they got him in the room. It's just hard to imagine how they got him so enthusiastic. Part of that could have been, I think this is his maybe his first public appearance after that huge like cop chase that happened that it re- resulted in him in prison. Like, well, and I think he may well have been having financial problems and desperately needed sure. the money. But again, we've seen lots of celebrities in those circumstances yeah. mail that shit in. He's not. No. He is. He busts his ass here yeah. for like ten minutes. Him and the cat dance their asses off. Also, we can't get out of this segment without referring to the fact if you watch this originally or have this on DVD, they actually do play a James Brown song when he comes out because he had just released an album and they have that song. Um, If you watch this on Peacock right now, though, it is the filthiest, nastiest porn jam I can possibly imagine. (laughs) So watching all of these people like dance and groove to like this. Oh, it's gross. Um, what is there to say about this? This is insane. I think this was by far the best thing on the show. I thought this was incredibly cool. Like this should have been on Nitro. If you, yeah, this segment also lasts so long that like literally, if like 
James Brown comes out and he's still in the ring for 10 minutes. You got time to call a friend and be like, yo, James Brown's with the cat. Yeah, it probably would have been better doing this on Nitro than doing this on this pay-per-view no one bought. But also, what if they had said James Brown will definitely be on the pay-per-view? Like, that, it seemed, that's a weird thing to do, but, like, people might have bought it. Yeah. Like, to, to drop that on a pay-per-view no one sees. No, they, I mean, the cat had been saying, like, James Brown will be at Super Brawl, but when the heel he says it, believes it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you sure you're going to get fucked here? Or at least be like, we have a major, major star that will, like, a, a mystery star that's coming. But, like, hint at somebody else. And, like, Ernest Miller can be like, yeah, it's James Brown. He's my best friend. And everyone be like, shut the fuck up. That's not who it is. And then it is. But at least you've hinted at something. They hinted at nothing. And then I think they point, they established definitively that James Brown was not the mystery man in the office. Yeah. Which, how the hell do they know? Yeah, the office door is still closed. Like, how the fuck do you know who it is? Again, if I was doing the thing with the door, I just keep panning back to the door and being like, well, who the fuck is it then? And then yeah. you'd see the door open dramatically. But they, we don't. Ooh, next up, we've got a Texas death match between Terry Funk and Ric Flair. Uh, Funk is 55. Flair is a few days, dies, days shy of turning 51. We once said... Oldest match in pro wrestling history? I think so. Well, hold on a minute. Like, because Vince has had matches which might skew it. Like, what was Vince, Vince Brett? Pat is that McAfee? older? Yeah, that could be something. Vince and Brett were probably both in their 60s when that happened. Yeah, yeah, something like that'd that. That'd be older. We once claimed on this podcast that Ric Flair versus Triple H was the best match any man over 55 has ever had. Um, This is probably, it's not that good, but it's close. Like, this is not bad. Oh, I was, this depressed me. I, I'm, It's a bummer because the fans yeah, don't the care. The crowd does not care. They literally sit on their hands this entire match as these guys are killing each other. But, like, the problem is, is that this is a match that should have happened in 1989. Like, this should have been, they're, they're wrestling this like it's the blow-off to that feud. Yeah, yeah, would have been like, awesome. This is the match they should have had at Starcade 89. Yeah. Like, this is that match. Unfortunately, no one gives a fuck about the figure four or the spinning toe hold or, like, oh, no, you're going to pile driver through a table. Been exposed so much at this point. P- pile yeah. drivers have been so overused, nobody reacts to a pile driver anymore. And since those are the emotional basis of the match, no one gives a shit. Yeah. Also, te- Texas Death matches are dumb. Like, the pinfall and then the 10 count, audiences never respond to that. Funk is backed up by Dustin Rhodes, which is a very weird combination. Can you believe Dustin Rhodes turns on him on Nitro the next night? Not shocked at all. He yeah. Dustin Rhodes looks so gross here. I'm sorry, Dustin, buddy. Like the this blonde is... hair and the dark goatee. And he's like all bloated and shit. Yeah. And he's wearing a bandana and he just looks bad. The rules are you score a fall and then your opponent has 10 seconds to get to their feet, and if they do, the match continues. There's no rest period, which at least they cut that part out. God, in the old days where you, you used yeah. to get pinned on purpose. A minute, so, and then, yeah. 
Like that made sense when it was just live crowds and the match they were used to the matches going three hours. But like, imagine doing that in front of crowds now. Like, yeah, I got pinned on purpose so I could take a rest. People would shit on it. Shivani says that Funk told him that his dad had a Texas death match that lasted four hours. Meltzer says he remembers hearing about a two hour and 45 minute match between uh, Dory Sr. and Cyclone Negro. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they fight out to the floor. Funk hits Flair with a suplex on the mats and he pins him. No reaction. Flair makes it to his feet at three. Yep. Flair turns the tide immediately, puts Funk in the figure four. Funk taps out. He makes it to his feet and almost immediately gets the advantage. There's not a lot of transitions in this match. No, there's none. Funk with a pile driver on the mats, but Flair kicks out. Funk uh, throws the mats up. He hits a pile driver, and this time he gets the pin. Flair pulls himself up to his feet, and the match continues. It's just not working. The crowd just doesn't care. They don't buy any of this. And this match goes 16 minutes, but it feels like 30. Because like when the so fans just slow. aren't responding, it's just a drag. lot of laying around. Like you can get away with that when it's a super hot crowd in 1989. Here, when no one cares, it's it's death. That's the other thing. None of these fans. What percentage of these fans have seen that match? Like they're in San oh. Francisco. Who like W the NWA was not over in San Francisco. That was a WWF town back then. Yeah, that's you're right. Like what percentage of their fan base got TBS back then? And like WCW's fan base really started watching. To me, a most of WWE's fan base at this point to me in the North are WWF fans who started right. watching when they got Hogan and Savage and Piper and all the WWF guys, Nash and Hall. Yeah, of course. That's when the vast majority of people did start. There were only yeah. like 500,000 sicko perverts watching before that. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't even one of them. I was too young. Yeah, I wasn't one of them because even though I lived in the middle of their territory, I didn't know they existed. But if I was alive today, I would have. If I was alive, if I was, if yeah, if I could go back in time to back then, I would be. Of course you would, and and, and we know that. <laughs> and we love that. Hey, you could just sign on to the NWA now when they only have fifty thousand people who know who they are. Yeah, watch James Mitchell do a line of blow on pay per view. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe that. I can't wait for can't wait for our year in review show. Hey, for twenty bucks in a free hotel room, you can watch into a line of blow in person. <laughs> in a rare factual air, Tanay says the New York knockout match happened in June '89. He's confusing their Great American Bash match with the Clash of the Champions. It is weird how infrequently he makes mistakes like that yeah. like he just produces that shit from his head and Especially he's almost back like, then when it wasn't like you could look it up on wikipedia he just he was wikipedia yeah funk asks flair if he wants to quit and then says he's gonna pile drive flair flare through the table and break his neck like he did all those years ago funk sets up for the pile driver through the table and he hits it that finally gets the crowd to pop the funny thing is like this whole thing depends on you knowing that yeah. Terry Funk did break his neck before. Otherwise, what the fuck is he talking about? Again, that was 11 years ago. Yeah. 
Funk pulls Flair up on the pin. He goes and gets another table. He puts Flair on it. But when he goes up the top rope, Flair pulls him off and he falls through the table. Flair then covers Funk and pins him. They tease that Flair can't make it to his feet, but the announcers are unclear on whether or not he needs to. That is a good point. I don't think he does, right? I think it's if you're pinned, you have to answer the 10 count. I don't think it matters if you're the one who made the pin. But this is such a delicious staple of late stage WCW where yeah. the, like, the announcers do not I know don't the know. at all. Fuck it. <laughs> Funk can't answer the count and Flair wins. They tried. It was a bomb. They tried. Um, this is definitely a Sullivan thing. Oh, for fucking sure it is. He wanted to put this in the main event. You know he did. Mean Gene interviews Hogan and Jimmy Hart. Uh, Hogan's got a broken arm because Luger crushed it in a chair. He's got a cast on it. He also says he's going to beat up Liz if he gets the chance. Sure. Absolutely, of course. That Jezebel Liz. Mark Madden on commentary says, do you think Elizabeth might be in league with Hulk Hogan? They were an item at one point. They Mark, were, allegedly. The, the, Randy yeah. Savage show up and kick his ass. Yeah, Mark, are you just reporting, like, gossip from back in the day? Oh, it's Hogan versus Luger. Michael Buffer's out to do the introductions. Luger comes out first. He's got, like, Mr. Perfect-ish music. I don't know how yeah, to I'd say something that. like that. It sounds yeah. like Steve Austin's entrance theme. From before he got the glass shatter. Just imagine that this is like Chris Masters' entrance. It's the same entrance, basically. And he started wearing workout gear during his entrance so he can do a reveal where he takes it off. But this is actually very smart because the reveal when Elizabeth just grabs it and rips it off of him. Like, that's a cool reveal. He's in incredible shape. He's gotten so much bigger. He's got those muscles across his chest, which looks like almost like another person is trapped inside of him trying to get out. Like, it looks like he's wearing armor under his skin. No, I mean, he's gotten even bulkier. But I think he's cut weight. Like, he's this might be the best shape he's ever been in. He looks incredible. Like, there's just no other way to say it. Says he he has 4% body fat, and he might. I believe it. Yeah. Hogan does not look his best he ever looked. <laughs> Jesus. No. Uh, Hogan does get the biggest reaction of the night by far. Oh, of course he does. Yes, absolutely. He comes up. When American Maid starts and the fans pop, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, y'all like this? You like really? this? It's San Francisco. It's an old WWF town. But, like, it wasn't like a, a pause. Oh, wait, yeah, this is Hulk. Like, they pop for the song American Made. Oh, he's got the red, white, and blue running through his veins. God, that's American Made might be the worst song ever produced in association with wrestling. I understand that that's a long list. But, oh, Hogan. boy. Hogan's back to the classic yellow trunks here. Did not yep. need to see, did not need to see Hogan in the banana hammocks at this point. He looks like an old man wearing speedos. Like he does not look. He needs to be in the long trunks, buddy. Get, get him some pants, be, please. Let's let's get you those Rey Mysterio baggy pants. 
his cool he could wear the cool pants he was wearing the year before this and the put end on up. the jinkos <laughs> drop that jinko leg brother just a typical Hogan match. I mean, Hogan has the advantage at first. Liz distracts Hogan. Luger works him over. Hogan hulks up. Luger cuts him off. Hogan then hits Luger with the cast and pins him. Very by the numbers, and Luger looks like a piece of shit. I think technically this is the only time in WCW history where Hulk Hogan wins with the Axe Bomber, but yeah. he does it with the cast. So Axe technically... Bomber. Technically, this is an Axe Bomber win. (laughs) Yeah. They kept teasing Hollywood Hogan was going to come out. This is Ichiban Hogan that came out. Look at Japan Hogan makes an appearance. He's got three faces. Uh, Flair attacks Hogan after the match. Sting then returns for the first time in months and takes out Luger and Flair with his baseball bat. And now him and Hogan are friends. You want to talk about sad? Whenever I see yeah. Hogan Sting versus this era, it just bums oh. me the fuck out. You know, the hair is weird. He uh, his heart's not in it. Apparently, he just went home. He was supposed to be at Nitro the next night, and he didn't go. He just went home. Yeah, that's a making no, a dramatic return no, and then just no not repercussions. That's uh, this whole year for him is just a drag. He doesn't do shit. He gets the Metallica it, music at some point. That is cool. But, like, literally, what does Sting do after, like... 1997, winning the title from Hogan? Name a thing that he does. I can't. He grew a trashy goatee when he was in the NWO. Yeah, he joined the Wolfpack and started looking like Red Devil Sting. At one point, he sets Vampiro on fire and throws yeah. him off the Titan Tron. That's that's a thing he did. I thought Vampiro threw him off. It was a stunt oh. double, but I, thought, I, thought, I think it was the opposite. I think Vampiro threw him off. Oh, well, maybe that is what it is, yeah. Yeah. He uh, had that match with Jeff Jarrett where Jarrett had all the fake stings he had to fight. Yeah, that's true. That was fun. I liked that. But, like, the fact that I mean, I know I wasn't watching it this time, but I could name you so many more TNA moments he had even yes. than he had in WCW after 97, and that sucks. Oh, man. All right. It's time for the main event. Sid versus Jeff Jarrett versus Scott Hall for the WCW title. Why did they put Scott Hall in here? I don't know. Did they not um, trust Jarrett to have a good match with Sid? I mean, I think Jarrett it's more just more star power because like Jarrett's not. Jarrett doesn't belong in the main event. It's Joe. No, especially and also Sid. I don't. I don't think anybody takes Jarrett seriously against no. Sid, and especially after the month before where it's Benoit versus Sid. Like, can we give Sid some like credible opponents, can please? We give him like him and Luger. I think would have been good. I would have tried yeah. him against Luger. Luger's got the size to be a credible threat. Also, Scott Hall cuts a promo before this match where he says. Back in the day when I broke in, you didn't have to be friends with the Bizoys or the Booker Man in order to get booked. You just had to be able to go. Oh, yeah. Scott Hall's not friends with the Booker Man, is he? I just think that that's so funny. The Bizoys. Like, like, literally, Scott, your best friend in the world is the Booker. He knows this. I think he knows this is it for him. Of course he does. 
They say that Sting was not the mystery man in the locker room. Again, how the fuck do they know? They also pan back to the locker room, which is now open, and they, yeah. like, take the camera in there. All right, but the camera was pointed right at the fucking door. How do you not know who came out of that room, you assholes? Uh, Jared and Hall are the first two out. They start fighting before Sid makes his entrance, and then Sid hits the ring. He choke slams both of them. Um, Jarrett runs in. He hits both guys with the WCW title belt. Hall rolls him up from behind as he's arguing with the ref. Jarrett hits Nick Patrick with the stroke. He then takes out another referee, and he brings out the NWO's crooked referee, Mark Slick Johnson, the scumbag this guy is. I did like that moment where the announcers are like, why is he just beating up all the refs? And then slowly it dawns on them like, oh, eventually the only ref left will be his. Yeah. Hall hits the outsider's edge, but Johnson refuses to make the count. He like goes one, two. Oh, Oh, my my shoulder. I heard it all. Yeah. Jarrett smashes Hall with his guitar. At this point, Roddy Piper comes out in a referee's shirt. I guess he didn't quit after all. Surprise! That was the mystery man. It was Piper. Yeah. They never explicitly say that, by the way. We're just supposed to assume it. He stops Johnson from making the three count. He pokes Jarrett in the eyes and Sid chokeslams Jarrett. Sid then chokeslams Hall, who allegedly suffered a serious neck injury here. I mean, I hate to cast doubt on somebody, but when you know you're about to get fired, isn't it a little suspicious that you're suddenly injured? It's a good time to file a a worker's comp claim so they can't fire you. I think this is the last time we ever see Scott Hall in WCW. Ooh, Steve, I am so glad that you said those words. No! This triggered stump, Steve! God. So, we're going to do something new today. It's a three-tiered question. Oh, my God. $10 for for each question, but they're going to get harder as they go. Okay. So, as you answer them... You're going to tell me whether or not you're confident to answer the next one. You can cash out anytime. I can this walk is like, away. Yeah, this is like who wants to be a millionaire style. You can walk away anytime. The third one is hard as fuck. I'm just telling you that right now. Okay? Okay. The first question, fairly simple. Three people on this show. Th- these are the three questions. But three people on this show, this is their last ever WCW pay-per-view appearance. Oh, wow. Name we'll them? say the no, I do not even need that. Roddy Piper is one of those people. Okay. Now tell me his first ever WCW pay per view appearance. Appearance was Halloween Havoc 1996. Now hold on, Steve. Is that the very first time Roddy Piper ever appeared on pay per view for this company? Yes, because it was a different company when he appeared at the first Starcade. That's correct. I just wanted to make sure that you said that so people wouldn't fill up my Twitter mentions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is correct. So that was Jim Crockett Promotions he appeared for in 1983 at the first Starcade. Now you got to play a tactical game, Steve, because okay. there's two other people on this show, and you have to determine whether or not you think that you could guess what their first pay-per-view in WCW appearance was. I can probably do it. 
All right. The next one is, of course, Scott Hall. Now, corollary. Oh, oh fuck. Back in 1989, when he was like Scott Bomber big, Hall big or some Scott shit. Scott Hall or the Big Gator or something. He appeared one time in a Battle Royal. We are not counting that. Oh, I know what Battle Royal that was. Do you? Yeah, it was the Great American Bash 1989. He was in the two-ring Battle Royal. Everybody knows that's, that. That's true, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> but that's not what I'm asking for. I want the first appearance of Scott Hall as the Diamond Stud. Um, shit. I think he was supposed to be in the Chamber of Horrors match, but I don't remember if he actually was or not. He was not. Okay. Um, was he, um, He was supposed to be in the Battle Bowl, but I think he was pulled from it and replaced by the Night Stalker. That is correct. The first appearance of the Diamond Stud. He did not wrestle in his first appearance, to be clear. Hmm. Um... Star, I'm, I'm still going to say, I think he was still on that Starcade 91 show, though. Sadly, the first appearance of Scott Hall was at Super Brawl 1, ironically. Ah. All right. Now, I'm still going to ask you the third question because I think it will delight our fans at home. Big Al is the third person for whom this is his last WCW <laughs> pay-per-view. It's not his only one? What was his first as a member of the Master Blasters? Uh, Halloween Havoc 1991. 1990. So close, Steve. Oh. Almost. So, you did good. You were literally two months off one time and one year off the other time. However, that's no money for you this time around. I stumped Steve. Oh, man. These have gotten way harder. Yeah, they're gonna. <laughs> I've gotten through all the easy questions. Uh. Sid gets the pin in seven seven minute main event, but I wouldn't have wanted it to go any longer. Sid should have squashed both of these jabronis in thirty oh, seconds. Yeah. If he had pinned them both after that double choke slam, I would have popped huge. <laughs> uh, would you call this a Sullivan or a Nash book in? This one's complicated because I, I bet Scott gets in this match thanks. Well, I would actually guess that Nash, Nash didn't. Likes, Nash it. likes all these guys. Nash likes Jarrett. Jarrett was a click associate. Nash likes Sid. He likes Hall. So this seems like a combination of the two. Like this yeah. seems like I bet you the main event was both of them booking together. That makes sense. Oh, oh, we didn't do this for Hulk and package. Uh, that's just Hulk. That's Hulk. Hulk did that. <laughs> yeah, Hogan. Hogan books his own stuff. He has creative control. That's the exact same storyline he would have pushed in 1991. Like, it's just, it's, that's a, that's a Hulkster. All right. So that is a wrap for this show. Is this the worst show we've ever covered? Yes, but I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, like if you're one of those weirdos out there who watches movies that are bad on purpose, just for fun, or you like to listen to podcasts about things that suck Watch this show out of context beyond what we've already given you. You will have a good time. What a just massive a show. 
Yeah. And like the funny thing is, is that 2000, there's a lot of good stuff going on before and after this. Like they're, they're going to get their shit together a little bit later on. Before this, they have their shit together a little bit more. This is the only time they're like playing jazz out there. It's just free form chaos. Tank um, Abbott tried to kill a guy. <laughs> he just... He literally pulled a knife. <laughs> he pulled a knife and put it to the guy's throat and said he could he slit did. his throat. He did that shit. The, like, just the lack of common sense exercised by that man in that situation. You think that that was something it was okay for him to do? Oh, God, it's just so crazy. I, again, I, I just love this. Like, this takes me back to the very best of my Kush Reviews days, where it was just so fun to watch terrible, terrible shows and riff on them. I'm enjoying myself so much this season, you guys. Man, we're coming up to the show that killed Kush Reviews. It's only one, yep. one more week. Oh, Jesus. So... Next time, I think things are somehow going to get even worse at Uncensored 2000. It's the infamous Yappa Pie. The Yappa Pie, the Apple Pie Indian Strap Match. Yep. Oh, man. Do you want to see Norman Smiley team with the Kiss Demon? Do you want to see Brian Knobs face all of three count? Do you want to see... Dustin Rhodes versus Terry Funk. Jesus. Do you want to see Sting versus Luger for the 155th time? <laughs> I just going back to the well, Sting versus Luger and Hogan versus Flair. This actually answers so many of our questions. Sid versus Jarrett. Yeah, they definitely didn't think that could draw because it's no. not the main event. Hogan Flair on top, baby. Hogan Flair again. And I'm going to bury a tag team title change so hard that it's going to be molten when we put it in the ground. So, yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>